0: the craft is the tool of the art or rather the craft is the vehicle of the art right at the end of the day i have to know how to physically write a screenplay i have to know the craft of the screenplay mm-hmm. you have to know how to write a scene not even just formatting but how to construct a scene how to construct a story how to write something that actors can perform etc but in understanding the craft and in putting in your hours of becoming a craftsman then can the art speak
1: Welcome to the first episode of Pankom Podcast of the calendar year 2022 And I'm just, it is such a sight to see Nick talking into his ball tickler again It is, I am absolutely, I am ecstatic to be back I am fucking, wow, wow
2: You're feeling that good about
1: it? This is the first podcast I think we've ever done on a Saturday Oh yeah? That just proves how important you are
0: Oh wow Well, that's nice. Yeah, you're kind of a big deal. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And uh, our our guest today, I'm going to introduce the guest. My good friend, friend since we were seven years old. Oh, probably, maybe five or six. Five? Kindergarten is five. Kindergarten. We met in kindergarten. We had matching haircuts. We were the best of friends. And now, at a very old age, at a ripe age, we (laughs) are still friends. (laughs) Ripe. My friend, Nicholas Zayas, everyone. Hi, everyone. We still don't have any sound effects because Nick is cheap as fuck, so I'm just going to keep on just... We're going to have to uh, distinguish the Nicks here. Yeah, I'm just going to have to keep on... Mr. Jimenez. Mr. Jimenez. Mr. Jimenez and uh, Nicholas Zayas. Welcome to the show, Mr. Zayas. Thanks so much, man.
0: Nick, shockingly, is actually a listener of this podcast. Yes, Yes, I, I, w- I was telling the other Nick earlier that. It's Mr. Uh, Jimenez. Mr. I was telling Mr. Okay. Jimenez earlier that uh, PonCon Podcast got me through a lot of the worst of quarantine in Los Angeles because there was wow. something very cathartic to hearing. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Chef Mike almost <laughs> fell fallen. over. I've fallen. I've we almost fallen. lost. Mick set me up for failure. I got it. That there was. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, it's Mr. Jimenez. Yeah, you're right. That there was something very cathartic about hearing Chef Mike. Just rant and rage yeah. every week about mm-hmm. the um, intricacies of, you know, the, uh, the the hard things that happen when you're trying to keep a restaurant open during a pandemic. Yeah. And for some ha- reason, your rage felt very cathartic to me. I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah. My rage is a lot of people's rage, I think.
0: I, I told Nick that uh, you're like the Rush Limbaugh of, uh, <laughs> of <laughs> chef podcasts. Wow. Yes. I don't know if I'm flattered or incredibly or disgusted. insulted. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, no shit. You love it. <laughs>
1: I believe disgusted. it. Well, Nick, let's cheers, cheers to the first brother. day of 2022. I know, man. Let's do this right. We are, uh, I am several cocktails deep already. We just finished a service. Um, not just, okay, because I'm several cocktails deep. It's been quite a long day, and I'm very excited to sit with my good friend. And actually... I have a small story before we get into your life story, which mm-hmm. I was part of some of your life. Yes. So this is during quarantine, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty I'm pretty stoned. I'm sitting on my couch. And if you listen to this show enough, you know that I'm, I'm a sci-fi guy and I'm a Trekkie, right? And the previous time that Nick had visited Ariet with his parents, which I love dearly. They're two of the sweetest people that you will ever meet. Um... Was probably a year and a half prior to that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, um, Yeah. you. It was in 2017. Wow, wow. You said, you know, I'm I'm writing for this like little sci-fi show. You know, we're working on it. It's like thing. I said, oh man, that's cool. You know, sci-fi show. That's yeah. Didn't tell me anything else about it. So I'm sitting on my couch, pretty stoned. I watch an episode of Picard. It was a great episode. Then it says. Who wrote the episode? And it says Nick Zayas, and I go, wait a second. I pause it, I rewind it, I watch it again. I go, Nick Zayas. I mean, like that's like a not a common name. Yeah. You know, and so I d- remember I took a picture, and I I know there's a three hour time difference, so yeah. I was anticipating that you were awake, and I sent you a picture, and I go, hey, fuckface, is this you? Oh yeah. And you're like, yeah, and I'm like. What the fuck do you mean? You wrote an episode of Picard and you didn't fucking tell me. And then your response was a, pi- a picture <laughs> of the back of Patrick Stewart's head. Yeah. <laughs> he was sitting in the chair in front of you on set. And yeah. I was pissed. Yeah. I was pissed. <laughs> I am Because I'm a Next Generation fan very deeply. I grew up on that show. I still watch it because it therapeutically puts me to sleep, engage, always oh man. just go right the fuck to bed
0: total comfort and it's
1: like and then I, my friend that i've known for fucking over
0: 30 years
1: wrote a show with this guy that's a fucking legend
0: yeah man it's it's uh it's a dream come true dude it's it's crazy
1: it's my dream come true and I, nothing even happened to me
0: yeah that's funny yeah man fuck. you know it's funny because um actually i think it was 2018 probably when i saw you it was probably like a christmas in 2018 or 2019 but um yeah, you know, my experience so working on Star Trek was interesting. So, I worked on Star Trek Picard for the last two seasons, right? And um, well, there's only two seasons, right? There's only two seasons. There's yeah. going to be a third, but, uh, but uh, I couldn't join them for the third. Okay. Um, but uh, there's something fascinating in working on Star Trek and telling people that you're working on Star Trek, which is you start to discover how many people you know yeah. are Star Trek fans. Okay. I have this theory that within any group of five human beings in the world, at least one of them is a Star Trek fan, and yeah. you won't even know it. I believe it. You just say, "Oh, I, oh, I'm working on Star Trek: Picard," and the most random people, their eyes will light up, and they're like, "And everyone has this deep, especially in our generation, this deep emotional connection to why they're a Star Trek fan." Yeah. For me, I watched Next Generation with my father, Same. my grandfather, and my uncle like every Saturday night because we had Saturday night dinner at my abuela's house, right, and then. The guys would retire into the other room, and we'd watch Next Generation. Amazing. And there's something to the character of Jean-Luc Picard being this um, kind of like the safest human being that you could ever like feel that like if Picard is your captain, you s- for some reason you suddenly feel safe. Oh, right? you're safe, right? You're good. And I just remember, you know, my dad is like a a. Um, a bald guy, kind of like Patrick Stewart. So yeah. I remember being a kid and, and just, like, transposing, like, Picard to my father. Like, thinking of, like, when i see Jean-Luc Picard, I would just immediately just, like, project my father onto that character, right? So so lots of people have these very deep, nostalgic, emotional connections to this series and that character. And it's been a pleasure to see people's eyes light up, right, working on the show. Now, then, it's also terrifying, When it's you and the laptop, and you're like, I'm about to write an episode of Picard. I'm about to write the episode of Picard where Jean-Luc Picard steps onto a Borg cube for the first time since heavy. um, Yeah, heavy. Yeah, that's heavy. If you know,
1: start. We've lost so many people. So many people have already tuned (laughs) out. Goodbye, (laughs) goodbye. The the other
0: four. You said one of out of every five. The other four have tuned out, and they're not even paying attention. I bet you we have a Star Trek fan in Salina, Kansas, though. This episode of Pangong
2: Podcast is brought to you by The Barrel. This is the barbecue grill that, if you're watching this in video form, is in front of us. We're here with uh, Chef Danny Boza. Danny, tell us a little bit about what the genesis of this thing was. Where does The Barrel
3: come from? You know, I, I, I was a chef. Or I was a, you know, working for a civil engineering firm before that. And I really hated everything that I was doing at the time. So I've always had a passion for cooking. And then, you know, I, I decided one day to move to New York and everything took off from New York, Chicago, Hong Kong, L.A., you know, Colorado and then to Hawaii and then back to Miami. And then I opened up my own spot in uh, Coal Gables, got, sold the restaurant and moved on to the next bigger, bigger, better thing. Obviously, COVID hit. So we had our own passion project. It started because a, a, a friend was now a business partner, Diego Londonio approached me to do a menu for his coffee shop. And I said, you know, let's go to Colombia. I got to see the tree. I mm-hmm. got to, you know, feel it out, get a little inspiration. So I went out there and then, uh, you know, I tried some of the food when I got there. And I was blown away by the flavor. I found out they were actually cooking with the actual coffee tree. And then I saw their South American style roaster. And it was just really dinged up, beat up, oil drum. Nice. And I said, you know what? I can make something that's really cool. So myself and Diego put our heads together and. You know, it, it's a home run in my opinion. It's very sleek, very beautiful to look at. Um, it's very, very cool. It's a conversation starter.
2: <laughs> people see that in yeah. your yard, and they want to talk about
3: it. Yeah, definitely. People see it, and again, we're not trying to take over anybody's yard. We're trying to accomplish, you know, make it a compliment to it. So, what you would do on your regular grill for something very quick, you might want to say on oh, a weekend, I got more time, I don't want to chill out, and you know, use the barrel and, and create some beautiful flavors out of that with our hardwood and charcoal. Act.
2: Do you remember what some of the first things you did with it when you were maybe like prototyping it or you had like you had it close to final
0: form?
3: Yeah, actually, I'll I'll keep it short. So one of the main things was is that our base was simply just the base. It was just a very plain base. And uh, in order to stop all the fat that was dripping and rendering, I would use sand around the side. But of course, you know, even some of the best chefs in the world make some of the greatest mistakes. So I would drop some of the food directly on the sand. And there's no getting sand off food once it hits it. So we had to think about different systems. So now we created these two half-wound systems at the base in which you can add liquid and have a grate on top, which pretty much sets this apart from any other, you know, grill, roaster, smoker, which, you know, the three-in-one combo is not really commonly found out there.
2: Very cool. So if people want to learn more, if people want to buy this thing, how do they get more information about the barrel?
3: I would say go to our Instagram page, you know, at BarrelTheBBQ. And, you know, you can go and see our link tree there, which has our YouTube channel, our order page, our information, our specs about the barrel. And it has a bunch of fun videos and very cool things that we've cooked out of it so far.
2: Very cool. And once you're there, if you use promo code PANCON10, that's PANCON10, P-A-N-C-O-N, because I know a lot of people have trouble with this. We don't speak Spanish. We've been called Pumpkin Podcast, the Panco Podcast. This is pancon 10 for $100 off of the barrel thanks man awesome thank you this episode of Pancom podcast is also brought to you by elite impact windows elite impact windows does exactly what it sounds like they do they are purveyors of impact windows that's the kind that especially if you're in a hurricane prone sort of area you want so stuff doesn't come flying through your windows mike you have impact windows on some of your restaurants
1: listen i heard a rumor tell me if this is true are all their products tested to go up to 185 mile per hour wind pressures? That is how their products are tested. That's all their products are tested to meet that. I don't know.
2: I've never been out in 185 mile per hour wind. But if I were, I think I might want to wear some of these windows as like a suit.
1: I feel safer already just thinking about it. if I was walking around in that kind of wind and I was wrapped around with their just windows just wrapped around me, I'd yeah. feel like a much safer person. Yeah, you should put them on your caddy. I, mm, you know, maybe maybe not. But I, and I also heard that they meet all the requirements of Miami-Dade County. They do meet all the requirements of Miami-Dade County. Fuck me,
2: that's amazing. EliteImpactGlass.com or on Facebook, Elite Impact Windows, Instagram, Elite Impact Glass. They are proud partners with Eco Windows,
1: CGI, and Windor. One of the things I really appreciate about them and their company is that all their products are made locally here in South Florida. And fuck me, that's amazing. Look at this.
2: They are all made here in South Florida. Did you do your research? Man,
1: yet? I did not do the research.
2: <laughs> Somebody didn't show up ready. They have competitive pricing with totally 0% financing available. I mean, I don't know. If you have credit like mine, you might not get 0% financing, but <laughs> it may be an option. It's possible that that's an option for you, 0% financing. I don't know exactly how that works. Whatever the case, if you go on the website, you ask for a quote, and you mention Bang
1: Kong Podcast, you will
2: get... Ten percent off of your installation,
1: and I don't know if you guys have ever installed Windows before, but ten percent off of window installation—that's a good fucking deal. And you know what? You got it here first on Pancom Podcast. That's
2: right. Mention Pancom Podcast again. It's EliteImpactGlass.com or Elite Impact Windows on Facebook, Elite Impact Glass on Instagram. By the way, you mentioned restaurants—they do do. They, com- do, they, do, do do they do do commercial do. <laughs> properties so whether it's for your home or your business if do, you need do, a lead impact glass do, do, to put do, uh you know all that do do um, and do the things that they do do so well yeah. uh, you want to you want to get in and on that
1: also this company very woke very woke. They also offer solar power systems with backup batteries and custom generators for your home. You know why? Because they're woke. I, I don't know
2: if that's a positive thing these days to be woke, but what? you know. But it's it's nice. I mean, sounds you know, good. It sounds good to me that there's solar power involved. I'm into it. Generators, solar power, impact glass. Uh, if you go to their website, they got a video that shows off like a home that has all of that stuff going on at one time, which is pretty wild. That's pretty um, wild. A lot of panels, a lot of glass, a lot of things pretty soon we're going to get our hands on a uh, at least one pane of impact glass i'm ready and we're going to try to break it i'm ready i don't know what the procedure will be uh <laughs> but our but mike's breath will have a blast <laughs> of freshness from that banaka you just heard i like the i like this a for binaca, the podcast a really banaka blast
1: at last fast blast banaka
2: i just want everybody to know uh and apologies to elite impact glass uh, cuz this uh, i don't want this to sound like an ad for banaka but in the time that we've been sitting here to record this ad, Mike has blasted himself with a binocular like five times. Twice. I don't around. know, man. Twice. I don't know. Come on. Twice. Elite Impact Glass. Thanks to our sponsor. Thanks. Go, go get your windows from Go, go get, go get those windows.
1: I don't... Nick, <laughs> Do is we your st- sister a fan of Star Trek? <laughs> she was
2: in the same boat I was, so she w- she watched all of it.
1: Yeah, but she didn't like She's it. Exposed. She's exposed. She was exposed. Yes. And, like, the idea of Jean Luc Picard getting back onto a board cube like that, that is, I'm petrified of that.
0: Yeah. Can't lose him again. Yeah, no, definitely. And so it was. <laughs> Can't lose him again. It was. Um, yeah, it was fascinating to, like, go back and rewatch, like,. Uh, First Contact and those great Star Trek movies and then every episode that Star- that Picard was in where he went onto a Borg cube and we knew that he was going to be meeting up with um, Hugh, who was played by Jonathan DeLarco, that character from I, Borg, which is one of my favorite Star Trek episodes ever. And just being like, I'm going to bring these two characters together and I'm going to put Picard on a Borg cube and now this is my responsibility and I'm just some guy sitting in my apartment and Los Angeles, and I gotta walk my dog in two hours, and maybe I should go to Starbucks. And then, but then for some reason, I've got the keys to drive this billion dollar franchise around the block. You know, it's like somebody tosses you the keys to a Rolls Royce and like take it around the block. And like, all right, here we go. You know, well,
1: it's also like Star Trek fans, very similar to Star Wars fans, they're a different type of fan, yeah, usually, but they are similar in their dedication to being a fan, yes. And me, as much as I love Star Trek growing up with it, I'm a Fairweather fan in comparison to the real Star Trek fans. Oh,
0: sure, yeah.
1: Like, the real Star Trek fans are fucking, like, they know things that I could never know, and I will never know, and I'll never take the, ni- the time to know, and they know them all.
0: Yeah, oh, so yeah. So it's, like, a lot of stress. Oh, yeah, and they'll call you out on it. Oh, For man. For sure. Oh, man. We we had this person on staff named... Um Kirsten Beyer, and she's written a lot of Star Trek novels, and she was kind of like our Star Trek expert on the staff to just be like a walking encyclopedia of the canon. I want to talk to this person. She's cool. She's really cool, man. Nick, Nick, can can you set it up? (laughs) Yeah. Come on, Nick. Let's go. She's great. But um, yeah, the fans are devoted, and, and there's people who have, like, I, even, I mentioned my deep emotional connection to it. There's millions of stories of people who have their own deep, com- um, like, it's tied to their identity. People who speak Klingon, people who just, um, <laughs> you know, and people who, uh, who just adopted the ethos of Starfleet, too. Yeah, like, well. people who, I mean, I recently, just recently, I found a copy of Gene Roddenberry's Bible for, um, show Bible for Next Generation. Now, a show Bible is something that a writer in TV writes toward the beginning of, um, after they write a pilot for, like, a show, which lays out, like, these are the characters, these are the kind of stories that will go on over many seasons, and these are the themes that we're going to discuss. And reading Gene Roddenberry's Bible for Next Generation is astounding because you see so much just, like, a, a philosophy toward how human beings should interact. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, whether it's the prime directive or whether it's, you know going boldly to seek out new knowledge. And then you have Picard to be this emissary, right? He is our um, representative of our human race, you know, Ah, going out there and meeting these aliens and these other peoples and then trying to do the right thing.
1: Well, I mean, Star Trek and, like, so many of these sci-fi things are just really a story that's supposed to be similar to a story we we all live every day. Yes. Right? It's supposed to be similar to our regular everyday life. It's just a very space-oriented version of what we live every day. So it's like the idea of Star Trek is, in essence, meeting new people, accepting new people, accepting like... um, difference of opinion or a difference of where you come from and then trying to find a commonality and trying to be friends yes that is if you want to break it down into dummy terms of what star Trek really means that's like the next generation it that's what it meant it's a and yeah you know like i mean that's pretty much everyday life right and i think you know my dad my dad's a big sci-fi guy so my my dad has all the seasons of star trek next generation all the star trek everything still in vhs at his house Wow! You walk in and it's just a fucking it's a it's a bookshelf of just VHSs. He doesn't even own a VHS anymore, but he still has them. And when I tell him like, "Hey, Dad, these are readily available on Netflix," his response is, "What's Netflix?" Yeah, (laughs) you know. So it's like, okay, I don't know what we're doing here. He's like, he just knows he can watch it at a certain time, anyways. Yeah, but you know, it's like, it's very interesting. The Star Trek fan. So I could only imagine the pressure that it carries to write for a show like that and then to tell Trekkies that you're writing for a show like that.
0: Yeah. It's, I would never tell anyone that I'm a writer for that show. Well, it's fascinating because, yeah, you you feel the sense of duty to like do it right, you know, but then also like, at the end of the day, as a writer, your job is to also do something new and cool. Yeah, like, I got like I have to do something new and different and cool as an artist, right? And so part of what we tried to do in the room on Picard, especially season one, is to push the envelope and really challenge Picard. Like, we did not want to do, like, a nostalgia fan service, like, stroke fest of the character. And Patrick didn't want to do that either. Patrick wanted to be challenged as an actor and as a character. Man, I, I would...
1: Give up so many things to sit down and have a conversation with that guy.
0: He's a lovely guy. He's
1: fantastic. Like I, he just seems like a. He, other than the fact that he's Jean Luc Picard, right? He seems like he carries a lot of knowledge. Maybe it's because
0: yeah. he's bald and he's got a like a
1: perfectly bald head.
0: And the British thing helps. It's like yeah, <laughs> like I'm not gonna they lie. automatically sound. Much more intelligent. Like any British person that comes to Los Angeles, just slays. Like every, <laughs> I mean, it's something about like there's something about British people existing in the United States where we just give them immediate like like oh you're smart or oh you're you know. No, I can only imagine that you being from Miami and going to LA probably is not the same. No, and I don't even have that much of an accent. Like maybe even just no, us, you don't. You don't you know. carry an accent anymore. I like. don't have. I don't have the bro. Hey, how are you, bro? <laughs> hey, bro, like, bro, like, how are you, bro? Bro, is right, like before Miami, we continue bro?
1: about like your career let's talk about um let's talk about kindergarten Saint Teresa Catholic School oh no, how I got kicked out in the third grade let's, i didn't I
0: never knew that you got kicked oh. out I
1: knew that one day you weren't there <laughs> yeah, well, you know that did happen no, I mean I didn't like necessarily they didn't kick me out they were just like. You know, we'd very much like it if you didn't return for fourth grade. Wow, what happened? <laughs> but, but, like, what happened? Like, tell the story. I don't know. You don't remember I don't really know. Was it I grades? Mean, Was it, did
0: you punch somebody? What happened?
1: I mean, I punched a lot of people when <laughs> we were kids. You? Yeah, yeah I, I punched a lot of kids. I mean, yeah. I got into a ton of fights when we were young. Yeah. I mean, I mean, fuck. From, like, kindergarten to third grade, what is that? That's like five to what? Four three? years, right? Is oh, that's it? yeah,
0: five to, to basically ten. 10? Ten or nine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I got into a ton of fights. Yeah.
1: My chip tooth that I have is still. From I January remember chip set. tooth. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. Like, listeners, I know that I know that Chef Mike puts on this like this oh, tough guy routine. Here we go. <laughs> but like, don't don't be fooled. He wasn't he wasn't the bad boy of of first, second, and third grade. Wow, right? He was a lovely guy. With with a, <laughs> I am a lovely guy with, now with a, with a better mushroom haircut than I ever had. No, um, I you know, and we're gonna get into the haircut now. <laughs> Nick and I had
1: matching <laughs> haircuts, and I, mushroom, I, don't, I don't really recall his, but I recall mine, and it was fantastic. Yeah. I had a fantastic mushroom haircut you when did. I was a child. I was jealous. I was, I was <laughs> much more blonde than I am now. Yeah. I was like blonde, dirty blonde-ish. And that definitely went the fuck away. And, um, you know, like we had, I had fantastic hair. You had fantastic hair. That oh, changed.
0: You. It changed. Boy, did it change it quickly. Changed. Puberty it... hit me. I started losing my hair. Uh, yeah, but you're, you're crushing it now. You got, I am, you're using I am a walking spokesman for the wonder of Propecia. Are you? Yes. Also known in generic terms as Finasteride. <laughs> I've been on this shit since I was like 18. Shut the fuck up! Yeah, and you know what it works. You know that's half your life, eh? It is half my life. Yeah, it's half. If your life. I can't have children at some point one day, it's because there must be a side effect of taking Propecia since you were in high school, man. So you've but, been
1: using—you've been using basically uh, hair product to keep your hair thick since you were eighteen.
0: Yes, and, wow. I, and I actually think it's worked because I'm 36 now, and people say you got a good head of hair. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> I've, well, I've never, I've never, I've never. I, I I still have a lot of hair. You do. That's maybe not like it. This is finely coiffed hair. Oh, thank you. Thank Your so. hair is finely coiffed. my God. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you have no idea how much of a uh, compliment that is. Because wow. I've, I've had a – I've had like a – I've had un complejo about my hair. No shit. Ever since I was a kid. Oh, we're getting so deep and we're still talking about kindergarten. I know. So. No, seriously though. I hated my mushroom haircut. It got in my face and I always thought like it looks wrong. Really? Yeah, dude. I really didn't give a and fuck. And then here's Mike Beltran <laughs> with his perfect – his perfect mushroom Yeah And his devil may care attitude Yeah
1: <laughs> uh, Well, you know Cheers We only live once, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was 10 I was a wild child Yeah So we went to kindergarten middle. Well, you, uh, We didn't go to middle school together Mid- Went to middle school in Miami Went to high school together Yeah, Columbus We both went to Columbus uh, Graduated in 2003 Yeah we're dating ourselves super hard there. We're Amen. almost at our twenty year reunion, yeah? Oh Jesus, yeah, next year is twenty yeah, years. Next year. How did that happen? It's a lot it's a lot a lots happening.
0: My um, God. And then then what happened after high school? So I graduated from high school and I knew since I was like twelve or thirteen, I knew I wanted to do T V and movies. Hmm. And so I graduated from high school and I went to Florida State to go to the film school. Specifically to go to the film school. It was between Florida State and NYU. And then I visited, and I got into the film school at NYU. And I visited NYU, and I was like, "You can, you can get very poor going to NYU. Like, oh, yeah? yeah, like um, it's expensive." And I knew that, like, having to be scrappy and be a college student and pay for your own films in NYU—that's when Florida State is offering me to go there for free. Right. And there was a thing called Florida Prepaid that I don't even know if it exists anymore. But you know, does it, Nick? Yeah. Four three minutes, yeah, it does, Msez says that it still exists Florida yeah, so prepaid
1: college still yeah. exists,
0: everyone yes, the program to pay for your kids' college, like as they're growing up, anyway, so I went to FSU practically for free. I didn't get into the film school um, my freshman year, but it doesn't start until your sophomore year, so you have like this one year as a freshman to try and get in for when it begins next year to transfer in right, and during that year in my freshman year at Florida State. I hung around the film school. I volunteered on a lot of film student sets. I made friends with the faculty and I just worked. And um, I wrote an essay and I had an interview and I got in. And then I went to film school. And it was a, uh, it was a great experience, an interesting experience. Yeah, man. Uh, explain why interesting. So, film school, if you're listening to this, listener. When, when you say yeah. that, okay, yeah. break down film school like, what are we doing? Are we writing?
1: Are we, are we producing? Are, are, do, you, do you pick an avenue to go into?
0: So at Florida State, I was in the BFA program, the bachelor program. And that program is very much a general, like, you do everything. Mm. You write your own films. You direct your own films. You're, you have to be cameraman for a film. You have to hold the boom. You have to be a grip. You will do everything by the time you're out of there. What is a grip? A grip? All right, so. A it grip. sounds super naughty. A grip is a person. <laughs> a grip is a person on a film set that um, carries things. Basically, they set up. Uh, they set up. They don't set up lights, but they set up the rigs to like hold the lights. They set up any rigging for the stage. Any um, anyone that has to anybody that has to be physical muscle. Blue collar work. Blue collar union work. Everything in Hollywood is union work. I'm a yeah. member of a union. I'm a writers guild um it's a bit of a bougie union you know like yeah, yeah. i'm not carrying anything other than my laptop right Oof. but um fuck you guys hollywood is a you struggle by yourself bitch <laughs> hollywood is a is actually more of a blue collar like the people that actually make the movies it's more blue collar than you think you know the electricians the grips the costumers the set designers the set decorators the painters all those guys um takes a lot of people to make a tv show or a movie and it's kind of it's kind of beautiful i had the um i had really these days the privilege of working on a tv show um for six seasons and there were 21 episodes a season that was a show that was a show called major crimes which was on tnt it was a spinoff of the closer but um Man, when you know that you have year-round employment in Hollywood and you're doing 21 episodes a season and you know that you're getting, like, two season orders at once, like, lots of people retired after that show. Like, it's no, not it very often in Hollywood that you can get, like, steady employment. It's not 9 to 5. It's more 5 to 9 than 9 to 5. But, oh. um, but the job security is great. And I don't even think that exists anymore. Um,
1: well, I mean, the world of, like, television
0: has changed completely, right? So change completely yeah we'll get we're jumping we're jumping the gun so i'm in film school so you asked what's cool about film school what was great if you're listening to this listener and you're wondering like should i go to film school? no one listens to this but all right no one listens to this uh but if uh (laughs) if you're wondering if you should go to film school um the answer is maybe i don't know but i uh i got value out of it because film school is all about learning how to work with people right there are 30 kids in our class, and these are the 30 students in which you have to make your project and their project and everyone's project. So you quickly have to learn how to collaborate. And filmmaking is all collaboration, right? Um, and so you learn a lot, of, a lot of valuable lessons on how to work with people that you may not agree with. And you may be creatively completely different people with strong opinions, but you have to work together, right? It's daily life, eh? I know, right? Yeah. And oh, um so that was cool and interesting. And you get to run around with a camera and what was great about Florida State is that they pay for all the equipment, right? Even the oh. film. And I think I was like the last public class it. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The Florida State Seminoles. Um and uh I uh I know nothing about the football, so. Yeah, so, no. So I got it. I so know. I am neutral. I don't give a shit. Um but uh I think I was even the last class to shoot on film which was fascinating because now you just do everything digital with video, but we actually had to um, load film and shoot on super 16, which was great. So like, you know, anyway, but, uh, I was in film school for about, uh, two and a half years. So I graduated December of 2006 and then it was immediately like, all right, now's the time. Let's go to, let's go to Los Angeles. Let's go make our dreams come true. You know? So I, uh, 2006? My, 2006, December.
1: Fuck, man. Yeah. It's a long time ago.
0: It was a long time. Ago, I guess so. Uh, I mean, yeah, this January is 15 years that I've lived in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. You look like you're from Los Angeles. Oh, now. thank you. Yeah, what I is mean, it? Is it the loafers? Is that it? No, well, the loafers
1: <laughs> with no socks for sure, yeah, which man. I bag on them every time I see them <laughs> for that. And then it's the, the shirt, the buttons, and the things. They only sell those in on the West Coast. Yeah. And it's also the jacket that's not needed right now. I know, but Nick still. But feels- it goes with the outfit. It-
0: <laughs> no, I'll tell you. As a 14-year-old, like one of the movies that created my personality was the movie Swingers. You ever see Swingers? Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. That movie hit me hard as a 14-year-old. Yeah. And, and uh, suddenly I'm uh... Nile with the save, <laughs> double fisting
1: 2022. We're ready. <laughs> We're um, prepared.
0: So, yeah, so I uh, I made it a goal to, to live my swinger's life in Los Angeles. And now I do. I hang out at the 101 coffee shop where they shot the movie. I oh, go, no I'm go. i friends with jazz musicians. I go to listen to, you know, swing music. And um, I wear um, retro-inspired uh, clothes. Isn't it Living the dream, about, man. All
1: things that we've grown up with that we kind of admire shape who we are as adults. Yeah. You know, whether it's like things that we read. Things that we watch, things that we listen to, like it's, I think it's fascinating, like how that influences us from a young age to like our older age. And then you kind of like dial back to that when you get older and you like check back and like, yeah, I still like that shit. And you still fucking go back to it. And it's like, find it intriguing because even though we, we evolve, we still know that thing that we really much like, you know, like uh, I find that super interesting about humans
0: in general. Well, even just like as artists, because like, you know, as artists, we constantly have to mine, mine the field of our own soul and our memory and our lived experience.
1: Wow. Mine the field of our own soul. Yeah, man. You like that? That is that's a T-shirt. I'm a know. member of the Writers Guild. That's our first T-shirt of 2022. That That we'll is never union make... work right there. That's, oh, is that union work? <laughs> soul miners against the world. Soul miners against the world.
0: <laughs> Got it. Got it. But yeah, man. But it's true. Like, when I sit down in front of a computer to write a story, the audience... And you know this because you're a chef. The audience, whether you're, people say. whether you're tasting, you know, a steak or whether you're watching a film, the audience is, has a, has like a smell test where if it smells bad, they spit it out, right? So if you're watching a movie or a show, and something feels like bullshit, like that wouldn't happen, immediately the audience is like, that's bullshit. Like, a human being would never say that. This Wait, would never happen. Time yeah. out. But there's also movies now that are created to be bullshit. Nick, like what? label some of
1: these movies that you watch <laughs> with, like, the nuns fighting velociraptors and shit. No, hold that's, that's,
2: that's, <laughs> Mr. Jimenez, please, yeah, chime not, in. We're not
0: talking about parody here. Yeah, I mean, but it's built to be bullshit.
2: Yeah, it, it, But it's comedy It's it, okay. You're not talking about parody
0: No I mean I think there is a, I think there is an, an artistic space for camp And yeah. kitsch and um, absurdism yeah. what, what You know he, like Sharknado Like people love Sharknado Yeah what he's talking
2: yeah. about for example is uh, Velocipastor <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love this Velocipastor
2: Please
1: is tell me Are we, are we says, doing a viewing at your house? Yes <laughs> This actually, is open to the Pankum Podcast we're, public we're, we're
0: Sorry At Nick's I'm, house I'm having a here, come here. Take my mic. It's fine. Please tell me that somebody says clever girl at some point in you know, Velocipastor. Uh, Velocipastor is the classic story of a priest
2: who, traumatized by the brutal death of his two parents, Goes on sabbatical and while on vacation has an encounter with uh, a vaguely Asian uh, martial artist. Vaguely Asian. Not racist uh, at all. Ends up (laughs) uh, impaled or otherwise uh, injured by an ancient magical dinosaur claw. When he finally comes two in the morning uh, it turns out that he has a new life as basically like the Incredible Hulk except instead of Bruce Banner and Big Green Guy it's Uh, mild-mannered priest and Velociraptor Uh, spoiler alert our hero in this film ends up in a war with a gang of drug traffickers who are actually working with the Catholic Church to get people hooked on drugs Oh, specifically so that they have to come back to the church for salvation is there coke
0: in the Eucharist is that what's going on Uh,
2: no they're just they're just slanging drugs (laughs) and hoping that people go pray about it later Um, wow where do
0: you uh, watch this shit?
2: This is on Amazon. We're gonna there. there will be <laughs> a there will be a very illegal uh, film series to raise money for important causes in my backyard, but not before we uh, kick off this uh, film series with a movie I'm very excited about called *Lama Geddon, <laughs> which is about a, a llama that comes from outer space and goes
0: on a killing spree. Thank you very much. Back to you, Mike.
1: Wow. I mean this. <sighs>
0: I don't it's think I don't think that's the industry I work in, but
1: <laughs> somebody wrote it.
0: Somebody wrote it. You know, somebody wrote it. It's God probably bless part them. of your union. No, I no. don't know. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of, that sounds like Canadian non union work. <laughs> Canadian. You're calling yeah. out Canadians? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> those one of those Canadian non Those work. Canadians yeah. are nice people, eh? They are nice people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So <laughs> where were we? Two thousand and six. Yeah. You move. What's the first thing that happens? All right. So so are you like by yourself in like a corner and you're just like writing in a notepad and you're like, I need a home.
0: Like what's happening? No, that does not happen. That's not a thing. That's all all movie. Somebody wrote that. Yeah. You'll you'll like this because it's all about the hustle, man. So my last – so two weeks before graduation, I had this book called The Hollywood Creative Directory. Okay. So kids – before there was – I don't know. Before everything was really on the internet and you can grab everything, there was this book that the Hollywood community used to put out, which was like a phone book, right, of just the production companies in town in Los Angeles. I went through this book and I found all the production companies that made the movies I loved. And I cold call them, right, I just call them two weeks before graduation and say, hey, I'm graduating soon. I would like an unpaid internship at your company. And now, mind you, this was back in 2006 when you could actually do that. You can't really do that anymore. There's been a crackdown on unpaid unpaid internships, which, frankly, is justified. I had a conversation with Nick at the bar earlier where we had, where you know. Mr. Jimenez. Yes, with Mr. Jimenez. Yes. um, Where I know, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I were entering the industry now necessarily what I would do, but back in the day, I took an unpaid, I'd call these places, I'd say, look, I love your movies, I'd like to be an unpaid intern, Um, and then you hopefully get hired, and you know that, like, you're only going to do it for a couple months in the hope that they hire you to be an assistant or some other entry-level job, right? And so, I called a couple places, and I got an unpaid internship with um, Scott Rudin Productions, Ah. Um, and... uh,
3: uh, Wonderful article. Oh yeah.
0: So I sent Mike the Hollywood Reporter article. We'll get we'll get that. We'll, get, we'll to, get to there. We'll, we'll get, get to that. that. I don't even know how much I can say. I'm still held under an NDA, but um, uh, but at the t- but juice I say, we got juice, juice here. Right. Yeah. Um. So I got an unpaid internship with Scott Rudin in his LA office, and I also had one with George Clooney's company Smokehouse. That was only for a couple months, but here I am, 21 years old. Moving to Los Angeles, um, working in George Clooney's office every Tuesday and Thursday. How stressed was your mom? Um, you know, my mom was stressed, and <laughs> His mom and is yet and yet thrilled. Oh yeah, I believe it. I believe it. she's wanted nothing more than for me and my sister to like achieve our dreams. Because in her mind, you know, we're both geniuses, right? and the world is just waiting for a genius my mother says the same thing and god (laughs) bless is she wrong and so um so my mom helped me you know find an apartment and stuff like that you know all through craigslist and whatnot and calling people in la um but uh but i think she was happy that i was going out and finally doing the thing that i've been wanting to do for like eight years you know since i was a kid um and then before i know it i'm I'm working in Scott Rudin's office in LA. And for the casual listener, Scott Rudin is a legendary movie producer. He produced The Firm, Clueless, Sister Act, the Adams Family movies. And then coming into the 2000s, he did There Will Be Blood, uh, No Country for Old Men. He produced a South Park movie on Broadway. He produced Book of Mormon. He produced Fences with Denzel Washington. He won the Oscar for No Country for Old Men. Um, The guy is one of the greatest movie producers that ever lived. That being said, he also has a reputation of being one of the worst and hardest bosses in the film industry. Right. Right. And um, Harvey Weinstein was like the Wario to his Mario. But where Harvey Weinstein was a you know, sexual abuser. And Scott was not that. He was just an um, incredibly demanding and difficult boss. They've made movies about him. They made the movies Swimming with Sharks, which was partly inspired by him. And a lot of, like, Devil Wears Prada, I think, was inspired by Scott as well because Meryl Streep made many movies with Scott. And everyone knows Scott, right? And so when I watch Devil Wears Prada, I'm like, yep, I've lived that before, you know, just with more... um, just with more screaming, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that being said, I my unpaid internship eventually became working as an assistant for Scott. Can I ask you a question? Yeah.
1: Just go ahead. We won't dive too deep because you have for an sure. NDA and we can't, you know, we can't <laughs> dive too deep. But um, how old is Scott?
0: Now he's probably 60 or something like that. I mean, do you think that the time that he came up in the industry, it was probably very different? Oh, brother. Yeah, he, he came up. He didn't even go to college. I think he... I think he didn't even graduate high school. At the age of like fifteen, he was working for like the angriest New York theater producers right, right. at the time, right? At the age of twenty four or twenty six, he was he was like the president of production at Fox. He was the executive on Die Hard, right? And you Die can Die f- Hard? Yeah. Best Christmas movie of all time? Definitely. Yeah. Um and um, Merry Christmas, Nick. Merry Christmas, Mr. Jimenez. <laughs> He and Joel Silver and, like, Amy Pascal, they all, like, worked together back then. Back then, Hollywood was a Wild West, you know. And it is a – and he worked for Larry Gordon as a producer. And I think Larry Gordon and Barry Diller. And, like, these guys are massive, not only producers, but media moguls. And they're probably not the easiest people to work with. The ecosystem of working in Hollywood was Wild West and hustling, right? And, um, and I think our day and age right now, right now the culture is having a conversation of, is this type of work culture safe and is it right? You know, and, uh, all I know is I, I took the job of working for Scott Rudin because I understood because it was legend and known that if you work for Scott and if you last six months to a year, You can get any job after that. And I worked there for four years. And I can tell you that every meeting I've taken up until this year when these articles came out, um, every meeting I've taken, everyone just wants to – everyone wants a Scott Rudin story, right? Everyone wants to know, like, what my experience was. And I gladly tell them. And I know that, like, working there, um, I was a part of some sort of, like, Hollywood legend, right? Right, right. And um, I think uh, this year, and with all these articles that have come out in The Hollywood Reporter, people are having the conversation of, is this abuse of your assistance, is this ecosystem of you're lucky to have a job, if you just buckle down and work for difficult people, you will earn your place. Is that a valid, <laughs> is that even a valid, Um, uh, th- like, philosophy for a work environment and um, i think that now as a culture we're saying like no you know it's that it's an unsafe work environment but i'll tell you at the time when i was coming up like that's just part of the ecosystem you know and so it's a systemic problem more than just one individual right. and i i would tell myself like look i'm worried i'm going in the office at 6 a.m i'm leaving at 8 p.m i'm working for um a very talented but very challenging movie producer. And I could be working for another asshole who is making shitty movies. But right now I'm working for a difficult boss who's making the next Coen Brothers movie, the next David Fincher movie, the next Wes Anderson movie. You know. I mean,
1: I, I think the, the real question to that is like, do you think that he was programmed from how he came up to treat people a certain way?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think he's a product of his in- environment, and I think he's a product of the in- ecosystem. And I think that people in the generation— we're, we're not yeah. talking
1: about Harvey Weinstein. Right
0: no, Harvey Weinstein raped people. Like, Scott Rudin never raped anybody, but Scott Rudin was a—he um, was a very challenging boss. And in the articles, there are allegations and stories of—and and yes, he, you know, throwing things and, um, of course, yelling at people and whatnot— and there are reports in those articles of the times in which he actually made contact and hit somebody with the cell phone he was throwing or whatever, you know. Well, I mean, you shouldn't make contact. <laughs> always
1: go up against the wall. You always throw things up against always the wall. Always throw a thing
0: against the wall, yeah. But, um, but at least working there, when I was there, you know, you kind of... I knew that going in, right? It's like I made the deal... The whole movie, Devil Wears Prada, is about this, right? So if anyone is... Um, I need to watch this. I've never It's a great, seen, great movie. I've never seen this movie. All movie of Devil Wears Prada is Anne Hathaway knows Mr. If I Mr. Jimenez, survive. have you watched this movie? Uh,
2: parts.
1: Nick is saying that... Uh, Mr. Jimenez is saying that he has watched parts of The Devil Wears Prada.
0: Yeah. And Devil Wears Prada is a great movie, but it's all about, like... You, If you understand that you are working for a very difficult person, but if you survive long enough, then people will... It's a medal that you can wear, right? And so for years, I wore my four years at Rudin as a medal, and now sometimes it feels um, like you... Detrimental. Uh, it feels like I won a medal to a war that never should have been fought, right? I don't know. I mean, I feel, I feel a certain way about that. But um, the people I worked with there... The people I worked with at Rudin, everyone there had a wonderful sense of humor, and there are people that I've worked with again and again throughout the years. People that were my interns that I hired um, are people that I've worked with. There's uh, a woman who I hired to be my intern who is now producing a movie that I'm writing. You know, And so uh, I think working there attracted a lot of talented, ambitious people who then went on to do wonderful things. And I don't know, it's kind of like... the people you're in the trenches with that being said uh the last year i've been grappling with the fact that yeah it probably was not it was not a great work environment it's not a, like hollywood maybe yeah, collecting you know but did you learn from that environment i learned everything from that environment I mean, so it was what, hollywood so was, camp. Camp. was it was it that bad that's a very hard question to answer
1: i mean i'm just saying because I, I i lived a lot of very difficult tough years in the kitchen sure and like, you know were they the best work environment No, were they what uh, are they what society considers like what it should be today absolutely not what i do i want it like i would never exchange it for anything Mm -hmm. like I, i i find them invaluable like they're those years are what created what i do now and yeah they were fucking tough and they sucked and You know, I've been mouthy my entire life. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the the culture and the idea of, like, work ethic now is very weird because it's like we want to work, but we don't really want to work. We don't really want to learn. We don't really want to be called out. Now there's a way to do it, right, that isn't entirely, like, super fucked up, right? Like, you know, I've worked for chefs that are, like, Mental manipulators. Yes. That, like, Emotional you. abusers. Yeah, right? that, like yes. attack you personally. Yes. And like, that's, that's not cool. Like, you can go fuck yourself, right? Like uh-huh. I remember I had one chef that I told him, like, hold on, time out. Gabe! Cuba de is getting a little free
2: ad space from us. This is us uh, giving back to Cuba. They're uh, getting all the love they deserve. That's right. So they gave us some talking points here. I'm going to read them, but yeah. we're going to do a little bit of riffing.
1: All right, yeah, cool. You read them, though. Did you know, Michael,
2: that the last free and fair elections in Cuba were held more than 70 years
1: ago? That's one of the least shocking statements I've ever heard.
2: Too many years. Yeah, Cuba wants to change. Cubans deserve to be free citizens with equal opportunities for all. Cuba Decide is a citizen initiative that is working toward a prosperous and happy Cuba where all citizens are equal under the law and have equal access to opportunities for improvement, a democracy in which our right to choose and be chosen is respected. Mike, we had Rosa Maria Payá, uh, founder of Cuba Decide, on the podcast. Um, You know, and and it's a topic, obviously, that... uh, is is important to the two of us, and you had a lot to say about uh, how the being denied those rights all this time plays into your mission uh, sure. with Ariet and Chugs. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the fact that we haven't, as I think a community, as a culture, as being Cubans and Cuban Americans, the fact that we haven't had an opportunity to grow haven't had the opportunity to progress and to be really who we are has really shaped a lot of what I decided to like my personal mission to be and meeting people like Rosa Maria and like several others like her in this process have nothing but uh, solidified that, that goal for me and to know that I think one thing I think it, it also happens a lot in our, like in our age group um, feeling like you're alone in that process, feeling like that you you're the only one that kind of feels, uh, I guess, a sense of being lost um, because you don't really know where you came from, why you're here, all those things. But in reality, there's other people living the same kind of life and not only living that life, fighting to change right. what history has um, but just kind of made it to be so. Right. Because right. it's like 70 plus years without free election after a while, people just forget that there was ever a free election and that things should be a certain way. And there's other people fighting that fight to make sure that this doesn't stay that
2: way. Right. So like you said, there are people who are fighting to make sure it doesn't stay that way. And that's one of the kind of... not a paradox, but one of the contradictions, right, that we've been shaped by this reality that none of us want to see continue. Right. Uh, so see is a wide initiative that includes Cubans on the island and around the world, along with international friends who together work tirelessly to achieve a peaceful change. They fight for a democratic Cuba and are closer than ever to achieving that goal. So what's the strategy? It's the peaceful mobilization of Cubans and the international community, putting pressure so that the people can live in a democratic system and be free. You can follow Cuba Decide, that's Cuba Decide, it means Cuba Decides in, in Spanish, Cuba Decide in all social media platforms at Cuba Decide. That's Cuba, D-E-C-I-D-E, Cuba Decide, Cuba Decide, to learn more or join Cuba Decide and donate at cubadecide.org slash donations. The funds raised... Go to train promoters, recharge cell phones, meaning uh, to keep cell phones active and connected to the Internet, uh, produce promotional materials on the island, generate international support, and much more. So go to cubadeside.org slash donations. If you put Pan Kong Podcast in the memo field in the, don- in the donations, that will signal to them that that money should go to keeping phones in Cuba connected to uh, the Internet.
1: Brought to you by Pig Big Ink Apparel was started in two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Okay. It's, it's a, that's an actual statement. It was started in okay. two thousand twelve. Um, I was sitting at a bar, having a drink, and then I drew this like logo very poorly, on a napkin, and I drew a name on a napkin. And the entire purpose of uh, starting this apparel line uh, was because when my family came here from Cuba, the uh, what sustained them financially was making clothes. Okay. So my grandmother, she's a G and like a super hustler. And she got on consignment like a thousand yards of jean. And she bought, she made a deal with a friend. Uh, Her and my grandfather made a deal with a friend to like pay off the sewing machine. And then they put it in their house. And my uh, aunt, uncle, and mother with my grandparents started sewing jeans and then they started selling said jeans. And then from that company, um, my grandmother started a company with my father called H and D Fashions. And we did textiles forever. Um, 25 plus years until sadly the company closed. We had, um, two factories in the Dominican Republic and one here in Miami. And that's really what sustained my like childhood. I grew up in, um, in clothing factories my entire life. You know like it's a very interesting place to be in. It's like these weird like gigantic shelves of just huge rolls of fabric and then these gigantic uh tables of um uh, ladies cutting shirts and then going from one place to the next and then going all the way down this like conveyor belt to like the ones that would sew it and then they would sew it and then they would print it and they would do the whole thing. And it's just like what I grew up with. So it was a small thing that in 2012 uh, which I had no business doing cause I had like zero money to actually make it like an actual thing. Um, I was like, you know, I just want to come up with some like cool designs that are lifestyle food oriented, chef oriented that aren't so chachi. And, um, you see a lot of the chachi food stuff, like, um, uh, your radishes are wild. Like we, we don't do stuff like that. So, you know, we're making like a hard comeback. Our, um, um, my partners and I have decided to reinvigorate the brand and bring it back. Our logo lives on within our hospitality company and uh, obviously through the merchandise line. And we just dropped our website within the last three weeks. And we have some great designs that some local guys helped me do. Um, they're all, I think, super dope and You know, it ranges everything from like work shirts. Um, When I say work shirts, it's actually the shirts that my staff wears to work to, you know, cooler designs and nicer fabrics and nicer shirts that you can wear out and kind of like hang out in for Mm -hmm. the day. But, you know, Pig Ink has always been like a passion project for me. Um, It's always been something that's never been for money or whatever. It's more of just like the story. And I think it's cool. And I think it's fun. And, um, there's a way to help people within the process too. And I think that, you know, what we're doing with Gua and what we've done with other people in the past and probably what we'll continue to do in the future with donating to charities. And, um, overall, I, I think it's, I think it's a cool thing.
2: Good shit. So when pigs fly, mia.com, that's where you get all of that stuff. Do you have like a personal favorite item? If you could only have one. I honestly yeah, well you only have one for yourself.
1: I, I mean, I think it's because I'm super biased because I love the original Ariette shirt. So the new shirt that we're dropping for, um, you know, see this is probably my favorite one that I wear the most. Um, so I think that that's super dope. Um, the Reservoir Pigs one is, like, very cool, too. I'm a big fan of the hats, like the beanie I'm wearing right now. Um, you know... I like very simple like yeah. designs, so I don't like. There's it's never going to be a lot of lot of things happening. It's usually pretty simple, but yeah, I would say those are my favorite things. The dad hats are my favorite. Like the khaki, okay. the khaki dad hat is khaki like hat. is super dope. Yeah, um,
2: the jersey has been in a rap video.
1: Yeah, I mean the jersey so is very that. cool. The the area jersey, the Chugs varsity jacket Is also very dope. Um, There's really not many of those, but uh, they will be going to reprint soon. So you know, I mean, it's really like I feel terrible saying this, but it's like pretty much everything I wear every day. So I like them all. Right. Yeah.
2: All right. Whenpigsflymia dot com. That's it. Go buy some shit. Go give Mike all your money. Yeah. All of it. Very good.
4: Yep.
1: Um. like that, I, I've literally told him like, yo, if you say that shit again, we can go the fuck outside. <laughs> Straight up. The yeah. Same same person. I told yeah. him that happened twice. Yeah. Like, We can go the fuck outside if you got a fucking problem. Because it's different. If you call out, thank you. If you call out my work ethic, it's one thing. Yeah. If you call out my, uh, the work I'm doing, that's another. Yeah. Like if we, I just want to be better. Yeah. Right. But don't attack like my girlfriend left me because of whatever the fuck. Yeah. Right. And that's some of these old school guys like that's what they do. Yes. You know. And it and it's very sad, and it's fucked up. You know. Like, I, if anything, I think the uh, from the opposite standpoint, like as a boss now, like people's personal lives I hold very dear, and like I want to help them, and I want to be there for them, and like if they're going through a tough time, if they're going through a thing, I want to be there. But on a professional level, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to I'm going to fucking call you out i'm gonna be very tough but personally i'm your homie yeah like i've always got your back i'm always going to be here for you and i i think like maybe there's that tightrope line that people can live within but honestly today i feel like a lot of people can't even live within that line
0: yeah i mean it's it's hard i mean i totally understand the um the hustle and grind uh mindset you know and i think it's it's necessary and especially if you're in an extremely challenging industry like restaurants or like hollywood yeah, yeah. but um it wasn't until years later that I, that i learned that that there are some places you can work it in hollywood where um uh you won't get yelled at that you know we don't have to be mean people just to make a movie you know and um I was like, "Oh shit, really? <laughs> you know, you can actually live that way." Um, but uh, I will say, I think I do have an embedded anxiety from my years working there, um, and um, I think the last year, especially after after the articles came out in the Hollywood Reporter about uh, about Scott, I've had to grapple with how much I carried with me of the anxiety of working there. Um, but that being said, I chose to be there. And I knew exactly what I was getting into. It's like agreeing to go for a running of the bulls. You know, would I mean? you take it back for anything in the world? I can uh, No, and I can't say I did. But I will say that some people weren't. It 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 attracts a certain type of person that has the right attitude to live in that. Right. I for a person like him, I was. Um, I understood him and um, I respected him, and I was able to roll with him. But there are other people that that aren't like that. I knew. A a big thing about what spawned the article is the fact that one of the guys I worked with while there uh, committed suicide last year, right? And his twin brother has come out and said um, a part of one of the biggest reasons why this young man killed himself was because of his um, anxiety and his his time at Scott Rudin um, was a big detriment to that. And it shook me to the core because I was friends with this guy, right? And uh, I see that (laughs) (laughs) I understand now that um, that maybe it's not necessary to have such a high stress work environment when the work itself is high stress enough. Um, But, you know, it's a complicated issue because I I I never saw myself as a victim. Um,
1: I don't know. I've, I've never I've never seen myself as a victim either. I've seen myself as a product of
0: super hard work. Yeah. But I also but, think but, that yeah but I, also like yeah.
1: the other side, right? Like the mental, mindfuck manipulation. Like I never I never stood for it. I would tell people to go fuck themselves. Like Yeah. I I mean I don't care. Like call out my work. Yeah. Me as a person, I know who I am. Yeah. And like my personal life, don't ever use that against.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that's, you know, you gotta draw a line in the sand and I think that like nowadays I find people have a harder time drawing that line in the sand, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, and it's, it's fucked. Right. It's like, I don't know, as like a boss, I, I find like a very, it's like a weird kind of like juxtaposition of like who you should be because you came up to be who you are through a certain thing. Yeah. And not saying that you yourself would mimic that, but you learned that way. Yeah. So then you, show that way it's like you know dave mcmillan always says he's like be a shepherd and not a viking mm. right and i say that shit all the time it's like but i struggle sometimes like the viking in me comes out like super hard because all we care about is excellence all we mm. care about is like the truth of like what we're doing the standard that we uphold the you know there's a lot of like passion it's the same thing any creative is very similar right any craftsman any artists that they're very like serious about what they do so then when you have to give what you do to other people to execute several times in a day it's like i can only imagine as someone that writes you say it a certain way in your head yeah and then you see someone else say it differently Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like wait but that's not how i imagined it being said you know what i mean i I, yeah i don't know is that, is that how it would kind of come off?
0: Well, I mean, in, in, uh, like I said, filmmaking is a collaborative process. What I wrote doesn't mean anything if the actor can't say it. Mm. And more than that, if the actor can't perform it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, like, everything that, that I write has to one day be performed by an actor. And that actor's job is to make it truthful right do you ever write something with an actor in mind yeah i mean like when you work on staff well, of a Picard, tv show right? yeah, okay, yeah exactly right yeah. so like you're sitting there at home writing That's an easy job right i right. mean patrick stewart like i mean you're talking about a legend yes like well it's kind of like you know you know you know how the music should sound in your head right and so you do your job to do it um like you have to copy it a lot of working on a tv show is being a mimic you know like The characters are established. You know the actors, and so you know how the characters speak, and so you do your part. Um, But um, there's something interesting of the experience of writing the episode, and then being on set and having to watch the actors bring it to life. And and the best actors will be the first ones to say, like, "I can't perform this because this isn't you know, I can't say tell this guy to come. I can't talk." Say the line this way because the way we've staged it, the guy's in another room. So I need to change the line. It's like, oh yeah, that's true. Actually, you know, can
1: I tell you a, fu- a funny story? Just because, sure. like, I'm not
0: not an actor. I'm
1: I'm not a TV person mm-hmm. at all, right? But I sh- I told you I did that show with Ludacris this right? year. Yes. So obviously, it was for a very cookie cutter, like um, programmed situation, right? And uh, it was for Food Network and Discovery Plus. And Ludacris was great. Like, all the people were great. But then sometimes they were like, you know, we really would like for you to say this. And I'm like, I just can't fucking say that. (laughs) I just, like, I just can't, I can't fucking do that. Yeah. And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I would never say, I, I would laugh if you had me say this thing. And they were like, really? I'm like, oh, yeah, I will fucking laugh if you ask me to say this. And they are like, well, how would you say it? I was like, I'd probably say it more like this. And they are like, cool, then just say it like that. I'm like, all right, cool, then I'm just going to say it like that. That's great. And it was like, it was, so, it was such a weird experience for me because I had never been in that scenario before. And like um, Nick and I hang out, right? This is our second time hanging out since you've been in Miami. So like I told you the other night, um, I did the show on Hulu. And that was like very organic. And it was like you know, like just say whatever you feel, and, and and that show was like great, you know. It was more, much more personal and like organic. It's a yeah. perfect word. This one was programmed. It's for a certain type of person, a certain type of individual. You know, I, the only reason I did it is because I thought it showed a different side of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so the idea of someone telling me what I should say, yeah, was
0: crazy to me suddenly you're acting you're not just
1: and i was like and and i remember i tried to say some of these things that they had me say and i literally laughed and i was like (laughs) i like why are you laughing i'm like because this shit sounds stupid (laughs) (laughs) like it sounds so fucking dumb you know and they're like well we need to say something like that i'm like i don't know i'll say it different though this doesn't make any fucking sense to me so that was a very interesting experience for me and i could only imagine like on a much more I think like uh, focus level of like yeah. this is a show and this is actual acting. Yeah, how that would feel.
0: Well, uh, here, here's I'm just about, I'm about to make your night because I'm going to compare you to Patrick Stewart. Like Patrick Stewart would do the same thing.
1: My God! Right? Like, wow! I am fucking honored, Nick. We got to do this, man. <laughs> we can do it. I'll fly wherever.
0: I'll fly wherever. It whatever it takes. I mean. So for that moment, you were an actor, because an actor, if they'll look at it and be like, if they say, like, I would never say this, then you as the writer on set and be like, okay, well, let's figure it out. Like, how is it bullshit? And what's great is that the best actors are the smell test, because if they know an audience will call bullshit, then they're going to call bullshit first, right? The actor's role is to make something truthful, you know? So if he says, like, I'll never say this, okay, well, maybe I should say this. Okay, that makes more sense than me. I can play that, you know? I can inhabit I can make that work. So a lot of being a writer on set is having to have those conversations with actors, you know, two minutes before we're going to roll when they want to change the line and suddenly we have to make it work, right? That's when, and that's the part of the job that I really love. I love being on set, um, producing the episodes. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Major crimes. Yeah. Six years.
1: Six seasons. Yeah.
0: Six. Is that years? Yeah. It's practically years. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then from there, what <clears throat> was the next step?
0: So, um, so, af- so, well, let me, so I was a assistant for Scott Rudin for four years, and then I want, oh, somebody singing Sweet Caroline at a bar this next is the door. first time
1: we've actually done a podcast on Saturday and during a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and during a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, a lot of you could write, you could write a story about this.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's recording intense. a podcast next to a wedding after party. Um. But uh, so I, I was an assistant for Rudin, and then I wanted to become a writer, and I knew that working in TV was a way to work your way up. So I became, I got a job as an assistant to the showrunners of The Closer with Kira Sedgwick in their last season, knowing that it would become the spin-off, which is Major Crimes, starring Mary McDonnell. And uh, I worked as an assistant to the showrunner for a couple years. I had written a movie script during that time, waking up at 6 a.m., writing until eight before i had to go in the office um and i showed that script to my boss he saw i could write and then he put me in the writer's room as a writer's assistant and then i eventually became a staff writer and i wrote uh, four episodes for the show over six seasons um so when that show was ending i'd gotten a tv agent i gotten a manager and uh when the show ended i finally went out to the town for the first hey, my time my dog has a tv agent As a manager, this is crazy. Yeah, I got a lawyer, and I have a movie agent now, because I sold a movie back in 2018. Mind-fucking-blown. It's a long way since Mushroom Cuts in kindergarten, (laughs) man. Yes, it is. But, yeah, so in, like, 2017, 2018, with these, like, new reps, they take me out to the town, basically. Oh, yeah. You go out to the town, yeah, and you do what's known as the water bottle tour because you have all these general meetings with different companies and you know you go and you get the free bottle of water and you meet with them and they say what kind of movies do you like to write we really enjoyed your script is I love there, there? that name water bottle tour Yeah the water bottle oh, I'm tour. going to use that again These days after the pandemic it's all on Zoom so you don't get the free water anymore Fuck off right But I will say the water at Amblin Entertainment Steven Spielberg's <laughs> company excellent water It's the Got best it. am, the best damn water Got it and boy does Book he ha- it, Nick. Boy, does he have the nicest Ship advantages. it. I know. Ship it. Mr. Spielberg, if you can hear this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm here. I, man, Steven
1: Spielberg, <laughs> you're out there, man. You're great. I yeah. love you.
0: He's a Punk Home Podcast fan. Yeah, he's Mr. one Spielberg. of the 22. Loved West Side Story. Yeah. <laughs> Big fan. Can't wait for your next movie. All right. So how did you land on Picard? So my, my old boss from Major Crimes, James Duff, um, was an executive producer on Star Trek Picard and he brought me on with a couple other writers for the first season Is he staying on for three? no he was only there for for the beginning of season one okay but he was one of a you know all-star team of executive producers So my bosses on season one of Star Trek Picard were Alex Kurtzman who was a writing hero of mine. I read all his scripts with um, with his writing partner, Bob Orsi. They wrote the Transformers movies. They wrote the show Fringe. They were writers on Alias. I love Fringe. They were like, you know, the highest paid writers for a while. Fringe is an amazing show. I fucking love Fringe. Fringe
1: is such a good show. Fuck, man. Right? People just don't give Fringe enough credit and like the fact that you just brought it up and it's just like, I spent a lot of time on Fringe. That is such a good fucking show. Such a good show.
0: So So here's a Hollywood dream come true. In 2008, when I was working for Rudin, there was no other show that I wanted to work on than Fringe, right? Uh, so I actually interviewed to be an assistant to one of the writers on – one of the head writers on Fringe, and I didn't get the job. But then flash forward to like, I don't know, six years later, I am now a writer in the writer's room, and my bosses are Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman, Academy Award winning Akiva Goldsman, um, and they were the uh, producers of Fringe, and so I couldn't work for them as an assistant, but now I got to be their colleague in a writer's room writing an episode of Star Trek. So Beast. it's like, you know, life happens that way. Man. Beast. And then the other member of the all-star team was Michael Shabon, Pulitzer Prize winning Michael Chabon. Uh He's a novelist. Uh, he was one of the executive producers on Picard season one as well. And he um, soon became like the main creative force behind it as we went further into the season. Um, and so I found myself this you know kids sitting at these table with these fucking Hollywood heavyweights and um, now I have to you know keep up you know it's kind of like being like your rookie season in the Lakers or something and suddenly like you have to play on the court with you know Kobe and Shaq and all these great people, and you're just some fucking rookie. But you gotta carry the ball as well as anyone else. That is the most sports metaphor that I can get. Right? I love that. That That's very good. That was very good. I think uh, you nailed it. There you go. You nailed it. You're super nervous. Take take a shot. Go ahead. Drink it. Yeah. Take it. I'm not here for sports metaphor. I'm more of the I'm more of the mining the field of your soul kind of guy. (laughs) So you were with Picard for two years. Yeah, for two seasons. Which was more like three years, and the second season, we started writing the second season in November of 2019, and then the funniest thing happened in 2020, right? Yeah. The global pandemic. And we're all back. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the second. And then you started listening to Punko Podcast, and then I started listening to Punko Podcast. <laughs> uh, and everything changed. And everything changed. Now, um so we started breaking season two in the end of 2019, and then the pan- pandemic happened, so we couldn't start. Rolling cameras, right? We couldn't start shooting. And um, what happens is as a writer, you're only hired for a certain amount of time, like 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. And after those 20 weeks are up, if you still need to do work, then they can extend you, but only so much. So by October of 2020, we were still writing season two and the pandemic wasn't over. And we kind of ran out of my time and I had to go move on to this other pilot that I'm writing for AMC and uh so i had to leave them watch me nail this and they uh okay. i can nail it i could do it and they continued to write the executive producers continued to write and shoot season two um eventually in 2021 so now this year 2022 february 2022 season two of picard comes out and i wrote a draft of a episode you know in 2020, but uh, I actually really don't know what the season's going to look like when it airs, but I'm excited to watch. And yeah. I know that some of the story things that we came up with are still there, but um, uh, the story changed after I left, um, so I'll be watching just as a fan. But I'm sure it's going to be cool. Q is there. Q is in the story. Oh, Q. I know, man. Wow, deep Trekkies know Jean about DeLancey. Q. Sean
1: Delancey. Deep Trekkies know about Q.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... It's true. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I know about Caleb. I'm deep trickier than Jason.
1: Are you? In my mom. Oh, that's right. I know all the things. Maggie's kitchen. Maggie's Trekkie kitchen.
2: Before Maggie's kitchen was Maggie's kitchen.
1: All right, love that. So,
2: Next generation.
1: So the next what is, what is next for Nicholas next? Zayas all right. In the world.
0: So right now in I the am, wild, yes,
1: with the water bottle tour that you no longer get the water bottle,
0: you don't get the water. Now it's just the Zoom tour of despair. The Zoom tour of despair. Um, so uh, right, Do you ever now, get like super fucked because you're like, I'm just another
1: Zoom call that they have after another Zoom call. After oh dude, it's the Zoom worst, call, man. Like, like after
0: another Zoom call, like you can't feed me a piece of duck through Zoom. That is such a profound thing to say because you're entirely right. I'm just, like, you cannot, you. I can't feed you duck through Zoom. Yes. And the thing is, I am an extroverted person. I need people. I need the energy of people. I need to be surrounded by people.
1: I saw you at Seven Seas. You were you were quite a delight. You were feeling the room. Oh, dude. Of Seven Seas, me and Nick drank till very late at night at he- Seven Seas, which is Miami's favorite local bar.
0: Can I tell you, Heaven is a local dive bar. <laughs>
1: Are you saying
0: that heaven may is the look 70s? like seven seas?
1: Yes. We can wow. only hope. We can yeah, only you're hope. right. We can only hope that you have to touch jam. tones yeah. and you can control the music <laughs> touch from the from the other humans in the room.
0: One can argue that karma in this world is merely touch tunes credits in the afterlife. <laughs> If you live. Actually, <laughs> yeah.
1: while Nick and I were drinking at Seven Seas, we hatched an entire new plot that Nick will write. He will write. Oh, yeah. He will write.
0: And I'm super happy I was part of it. So the next thing I want to work on, right now I'm writing a movie, but after that, the next thing I want to work on is a private detective show set in Miami. Nick is uh, very into private detective shows. Oh, I love it. We, we talked about this a lot.
1: And, yeah. like, uh, me too. That's why I love that. So we, um,
0: I don't know, it was probably like three hours.
1: Was it three hours? Three or four oh, hours? Oh, it was more. We were
0: there from until, God, we were there until maybe 3 a.m. 3 in the morning? Yeah. Yeah,
1: 3 a.m. That's, it's okay. You could say we were there till 3 in the morning. Yeah. Punkwood Podcast is, it's an open, it's, we're, we're totally cool here. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's fine. So, it's a safe space.
1: Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's safe
0: space. I'm from California. We love safe spaces. Yeah. Well, I don't know if California loves our safe space,
1: but, um, <laughs> I mean we I have 4 hours. We talked about the show for like half of that, maybe more.
0: Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, it
1: was great. It was great. This is a Miami show.
0: I was yes. Yeah, so, We're not going to tell anyone about the no, show. No, I know. Mean, We're I not going to tell anyone about that's the show. The problem is that I can hardly divulge the things I'm working on because these are it. things that I that I hope to sell in the next year. Yeah, I love that. But sell yeah, that, yeah, I think I can say man. that because I feel like I'm the only person I know that can adequately write it, which is, yeah, I intend to do a private detective show set in Miami in the vein of like the great Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe, um, you know, uh, detectives.
1: you know. In the words of a good friend of mine, there should not be a private detective from Miami that's a ginger. <laughs> yes. That <laughs> that's a correct. ginger. Solving all the crimes of
0: Miami. Yes, I, the fact that all we have representing Miami in the space is NCIS, or, right? No, CSI Miami. CSI Miami. NCIS is a great show. That's a a different, that's a whole, I would not not, dare, do not, (laughs) I would would not dare (laughs) discredit all like 15 seasons of of NCIS. All the, all right. But CSI Miami, the fact that the lead character on your show is redheaded pasty skinned david caruso which if, is great but just, which is just great doesn't fit Look, there. Caruso's great everyone loves the one-liners right but with a scowl
1: if david caruso no, it's the one-liner with a scowl with a
0: scowl and he rips the glasses off right <laughs> everyone knows you know the great i love a good pun too you yeah. know um but if david caruso walks into versailles right right, right. And it's like I need to question your waitress. The lady says, ¿Qué, qué? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like I can
1: imagine David Crusoe walking in Versailles, and everyone just stops. It's like, like this who man
0: is this cringo. Don't stop
1: making the coffee, but they're like, who is this man? Gang <laughs> <laughs> "Americano, you know." <laughs> it's is- 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 <laughs> acabó el pan. It's acabó el pan. one
2: line, one line he
0: puts the glasses back on. He gets <laughs> back in his Impala or whatever the fuck. yeah. Q the who yeah um, yeah um, but yeah it's like we have every Miami show has had some fucking white guy as the lead and if you are gonna adequately tell a story about Miami right your lead character is gonna be a Latino and Spanglish is gonna be the, the language right. of the show because that is the true lived experience of Miami man no
1: I mean listen the the reality of it is that no one ever. Shows Miami in the true light of who we really are, right? It's either the glitz and glamour of that fucking trashy ocean drive. Yes. Right? Which isn't... There is no glitz. There is no glamour there. It's just a lot of neon. Or that. Yeah. Right? Which is not representative of, like, who it is. And, you know, I'll give him credit where credit's due. It's like, you know, Billy Corbin has really said real stories about Miami. Yeah and i think that it showed like this is a fucking tough town man yes it's super tough there's so many different facets of this town there's so many different types of people there's so many different cultures here it's like it's crazy right yeah and no one ever shows that no you only have like uh in bad boys that there's like um that there's like a Haitian gang. Well,
0: or like now we have Moonlight, right? Which oh, is I
1: actually have yeah, not seen Moonlight. I know that's terrible. At wonderful. Me.
0: I'm sorry, Barry Jenkins is wonderful, right? But Moonlight is like the only movie you'll ever find. I mean, a movie about basically about Liberty City won an Oscar. Like that is significant, right? So that is up there in the pantheon of great truthful. Miami. I should watch this, right? Yes. Great Can we add this to the Miami show? Miami no, movies. Right?
1: Lamageddon is the only one. <laughs> yeah, Lamageddon and Moonlight. Now that's a double feature. Lamageddon and then Moonlight. The, the point of the backyard thing is that it's shitty movies. Right, shitty movies yeah, in the backyard. I, I don't yeah. Throw in yeah, I mean, but listen, if we're lighting a fucking whole old Christmas tree on fire, you know, like with the bonfire, we should show actually maybe one good movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to use the barrel to cook for people.
0: This will be the oddest viewing party of Moonlight ever. Oh, <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. I do, I, I do want to ask a related
2: question that I have to borrow your microphone for. So we, have to, we have to go through all that. Sure. Know,
0: um,
1: Nick's on the mic
2: now. I'm on the mic Mr. now. Mr. Jimenez. No, is I, on I, have I, I have a question for, for Nick from Mr. Jimenez. Sure. Uh, in light of the fact that you do what you do, I imagine that you've been exposed to more examples of it. So even if nobody does it perfectly. Who's done it best? Even if it's something that maybe people mm. haven't seen or it's like an episode of a thing that you saw that was set in Miami. Because I imagine like, mm. anytime, some Miami, like any, anytime somebody from Miami leaves Miami, sure. everybody around them is like, hey, look at this Miami thing. Look at this. So yeah. I'm willing to bet that you've been exposed to more writing and, uh, and TV and film that references Miami than
0: most people. You know who I thought did a great job of depicting the city of Miami was the movie Chef. Like... I'm actually, like, so
1: I hate food television. Sure. And now I'm part of it, which sucks. I hate that. I feel like such a fucking loser for being a part of it. But Padma was a delight and ludicrous. I know you're listening. I I think you are. You were a delight also. Um, chef and the, the movie with uh, the fucking guy, um, Burnt. Mm-hmm very different stories but yeah so very real both of them yeah they were so very real like they were like so well done and I felt so many of like both of those things
0: I watch those movies all the time so here's a here's a great uh, Hollywood story so um you know how they say don't meet your heroes right so like I said earlier swingers is the movie that like formed the core of my like identity, right? As we see. Exactly. So As Swingers was written by Jean Favreau who was oh. in the movie. Jean Favreau also wrote and directed and starred in Chef. So it's like 2014 I'm he living crushed in crushed like, it in that movie man. Crush it. It's, it's crushed it. And now Jean Favreau is one of the one of the most successful directors ever. He did Good Iron him, man, man and you know created the Marvel you know, set the stage for the Marvel universe, right? So it's 2014 and um, I'm a fan of Chef, and I know that uh, he's doing, a, as a promotional thing for the movie, they're doing a pop-up at Animal uh, on Fairfax. John and Vinny's place. Yeah, exactly. Miami guys. Yep. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they worked for Michelle Bernstein here. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah? Yeah, yeah I love their, I love their, um, their food. Um, but so they were doing a pop-up with Favreau where they're making Cuban sandwiches outside of Animal. So I'm like, I'm going to fucking go to this. It was like 10 minutes away from my house. So I show up. I'm in line to get a Cuban sandwich. And there's John Favreau. There is the guy who wrote my favorite movie. Chef Manny, right?
1: don't trip. Don't trip on the actual thing that doesn't move. It doesn't move. That's Chef Manny, everyone.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be yeah. without that guy. So I'm at the pop-up for Chef. And there's Favreau standing behind me. And I'm like, this is the guy. This is the guy that wrote the movie that shaped, you know. It was one of the first scripts I ever read was the script for uh, Swingers, right? So I'm like, I got to say something. So I go up to John Favreau and I say, Mr. Favreau, I just want to say that um, Swingers was a big deal for me. And as soon as I start saying it, I start regretting it. Oh, I remember you told me the story. Because yeah. yeah. his eyes start to glaze over. Yeah, Like, I get it, bro. And he's I like, get you it. are the hundredth. I get it. Like you're the thousandth fucking young guy today today to tell me, oh swingers, you know, oh it's such. Look at how I'm dressed, bro. Look at how I'm dressed, bro. I got it. It's so money. (laughs) Oh, you know, I love your movie, and he's heard it for the last twenty years, and I'm like, oh no, what am I doing? I should stop talking, stop talking, and then he was like, okay, yeah, cool, thanks so much, and then I was like, oh, but actually, Mr. Favreau, like I'm from Miami, and. I thought Chef was awesome, and I thought how you showed Miami was legit. The it fact was that, the fact that you went to Sai, right? O-
1: Oikomaiet, they they filmed the whole exactly. part of the movie at Oikomaiet. I was like,
0: tough. the Miami part was fucking legit. And as soon as I said that, as soon as I was talking about his current piece of art, he was I'm like, oh yeah, really? Oh, that's so great. Like you know, and he wanted. He's like, we had so much fun in Miami, and suddenly he was engaged. And so if you ever meet your hero, don't bring it back.
1: Nick, boy. get him on the show.
0: Yeah. Let's get fucking Johnny Favreau on the show. And yeah. also, Mr. Favreau, if you're listening, I'd love to meet you <laughs> again. Actually talk like friends. Yeah. It's one time. I got some scripts for you to read. He actually,
1: like, like in that. Canard. Best surprise of 2021. <laughs> love you, man.
2: He's the best surprise?
1: Yeah, he is. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. It, it happens It happens sometimes. <laughs> All right, Kennard. I'll do my best. Nick's not too bad. Mr. Jimenez, though, so so. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, like in that movie, I feel a lot of emotions when I watch that movie. Yeah. Even still, it's there's so good. there's like three food movies. I feel emotions. Mm. Ratatouille, still. Yes. Oh man, so heavy. Chef, and burnt. Mm. All three of them. The big night also, like, you know, very, like, cult following the big night. But, like, um, I don't know. And, you know, Thomas Keller was involved with, I'm pretty sure, all three of those. Really? Yeah. He was involved with the food part of all three of those. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, Keller is a legend. Yeah. Legend. You know, it's interesting, like, when when you meet, like, your heroes or whatever. I, I'm i pretty sure I've said this story before, but I'll say it again. I happened to meet one of my heroes through my own, like, arrogance and, like, very, like, disdain for talking to humans. Yeah. When I was uh, cooking at an event and I was making uh, one of my dishes or whatever, like, someone kept tapping me on the shoulder, like, you know, like, and I was just like, you know, I don't like talking to people. And it was Dario Cincini's wife, which is his translator, and he's, like, the most legendary butcher of all time. Mm. And, um... She was just like, Dario would like you to know that this is one of the best foie gras dishes he's ever had. And I turned around. And I was like, fuck me. Okay. Cool. Wow. This is crazy. I'm going to go fuck myself now. Like, this is like, this is a lot for me to digest while I'm feeding 500 people at the same time. Like, okay. Dude. That was cool because he tried my food and he really enjoyed it. Fuck. Well, and you dude, know, he's a
0: fuck, that guy is a fucking legend, man. Legend, legend. Well, I'll say that, like, you know, both you and I have been grinding for a while, right? Like, we've been grinding away for a while.
1: Since mushroom cuts. Since mushroom cuts. Yeah.
0: And um, it feels great when the universe gives you the fucking pat on the back once or twice, man. You
1: like, know, it's, a, it's interesting, though, because you have to acknowledge the pat on the back.
0: Yeah, you have to be, you have to take, you but have the the to grind, take the, gr- the compliment. The dude. grind is very
1: You've tough. Earned it. it makes it very tough. Yeah. The grind makes it very tough to accept a compliment. You know. I
0: mean, part of what makes overachieving ambitious people work is this feeling that like we should never be satisfied because we're always trying right. to work towards some sort of perfection, but you but man, for your mental health you got to take the compliment when it comes. You got to say thank you when it comes, man.
1: What a trigger word. Mental You got to remember. What a trigger word, mental health. Yeah. We won't dive into mental health because we'll be on here for another hour. Oh, but um so, we've talked about what's after Picard. Yes, we've talked about what's current. Yes, let's talk about your like. I'm fascinated that a good friend of mine lives has lived in L. A. for 15 years. Yeah, right. 16 years. 15 years. Yeah, this 15, is 15 years.
0: years. 2022. Yeah, bro.
1: Do you not? Uh, do you miss Miami? Are there are are there not times? Are there like I lived in Virginia for four and a half years and. Every day I pined for, like, the things that made me, like, connected Yeah. to our, I don't know, who we are and, like, so many things. It, it, I could only imagine 15 years r- removed coming back for a couple weeks, like, how that feels.
0: Yeah, man. so it's funny because, like, the leaving Miami and at least even just leaving Miami and, and being in Florida State for about three years in Tallahassee gives you a perspective and an appreciation of the city you know there's lots of people who grew up here and never leave and they don't know what the rest of america is like they think they live in america i don't think they appreciate here as much as they should miami is one of the most unique americans it's like nowhere else in america and you can be born here live a whole life and die and think you live in america and not realize there's a whole other country out there Oh, There's man. a whole other country that doesn't speak Spanglish and doesn't know what a croqueta is and doesn't know how to play dominoes. Right? Yeah, like, like,
1: you, you can't go to the corner and get a cotadito and a croqueta and a pastelito, like outside of Broward.
0: Anywhere like, north of Broward.
1: Yeah, like really? you can't like once you leave Broward,
0: it's like it's actually yes. It's different. It is the Americano America. It They're is giving the you biscuits America. with apple butter. They, yeah. And they For can- you,
1: they're giving you matcha and other things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Matcha
0: and some kind and of like super and, healing thing. Yeah, and overnight oats and those <laughs> sorts of things. <laughs> like, imagine the genius that came up with overnight oats. I know, it's so smart. <laughs> I'm just going to set this bitch up and I'm going to come back tomorrow it's going to be done. Yeah, it's $14 in a mason jar. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like cold brew. It's day-old coffee. Oh, man. man. Cold brew is delicious, though. It is. I'll, I'll, I'll a Punch.
1: I'll double down on cold brew. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh,
0: but uh, uh, what were we saying? Oh, yeah. So, look, there's a part of me that is from the moment I was born, I wanted to leave Miami, right? Like, as a kid... There's something about being a writer that just always makes you feel like an outsider. So I'd watch all this TV as a kid growing up. And what I saw on TV looked nothing like where I was growing up. I wanted to live in this fantasy of America, which was, you know, full house. Family matters. Full house. Step by step. Bob Saget. What a legend.
1: (laughs) What a legend Bob Saget is, right?
0: brilliant comedian filthy comedian filthy yeah i know which is my favorite thing about bob saget yeah Yeah. danny tanner is a filthy human being. i know um cut it it out out. quit it (laughs) well that was dave coulier (laughs) but still oh yeah that's right that's right right. somewhere dave coulier's ears are burning he's like somebody's (laughs) talking about me um finally finally (laughs) it's been a decade that's so funny more but um there was a part of me growing up that was just like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in Miami. I want to be in whatever world exists on the movies and TV shows that I live in. Right. And that was the escapist in me. And so I always wanted to leave and it took me going to Florida state and living elsewhere to be like, Oh wait, I actually appreciate where I came from. Even if I never felt comfortable in my skin in this city that I grew up in. Right. Like I never had, I always never wanted a Miami accent. I don't know. Maybe it's a whitewashing of myself. I don't know. I struggle with these things. Right. Um, but uh, I always wanted to leave and move onward, right? And then I live in Los Angeles where I always wanted to live. And over the years, especially after a pandemic in which stuck in quarantine, every experience has become virtual, right? You can't eat duck over Zoom, right? I know you can't. So social interactions work entertainment is all through a screen and so you end up going crazy and you start being like what in life is real and me like I said as an extrovert I need people I need to feel life happening and so more than ever this past two years I have felt a need to what I to do what I call is touch the soil right I'm like I have to get back in touch with whatever is real so I came back here in June, and I'm back here now, just trying to center my ground myself again and be like, "This is Miami." You can
1: clear all the water glasses, too, ma'am. <laughs> Thank
0: you, Keith. No, you I'm can Just clear this. them all. I'm drinking. I'm, I'm staying no, hydrated.
1: No, me and Nick, we, uh, Mr. Jimenez, and myself are not. Uh, Nick Jimenez, professional afterthought. Yeah. <laughs> wow, Nick, hey. Mr. Jimenez, the professional
0: afterthought. <laughs> The, the professional yeah. afterthought—that's one to... of the worst insults I've ever <laughs> heard. In my, t- that's brilliant. Tell Casey she wins, man. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so I've come back here to get back in touch with my roots, and I think now, later in life, I, uh, I've come to appreciate this place and what's real. And now I want to talk about the place I came from. Yeah. I
1: think that when you reach a certain level, like you want to, your roots, you want to make them. Not special, but you want to share them with the world. Yes. And I think that's part of, like, uh, my journey that I've, like, uh, you know, when Ariad opened, Ariad turns six January 14th of 2022.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Um, I think that after, like, a year and a half or so, like, I felt like I needed a purpose. The place needed a purpose, and that was the purpose, to give the roots, like, they're due yeah you know and i think it's it's paid off and I, I we've been super blessed but you don't know until you leave yes you know and you also don't know until you feel like you're up against the wall right like we i think food in miami has been up against the wall for many many years there was like a wave of great chefs the mango gang and some before them and some after them too but it was like this wave up against like this ideology of what the rest of the world looked at us like, which is kind of what you were talking about, which is, you know, like
0: you look at the show about Miami and it's a ginger guy that's walking into Versailles and everyone's like, who is this man? Yeah. If CSI Miami goes to Versailles, usually it's just, you know, pink flamingos and neon signs. Right, and, right. You know,
1: you know, so there's no like cutthroat real like showing of who the city really is. Yeah. And we all grew up in it, and we all grew up in, like, very ideal situations, and there was a lot of people that didn't grow up in ideal situations, and there was, like, there's a lot of parts of Miami that are super fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of stories of Miami that are super fucked up, and they haven't really been shared. I think that in the last, like, five years, they've been shared more than they have in the previous. But, sure. you know, I think that's what, like, where I found purpose was yeah. – Uh, connecting the Cuban-American culture to progress, which I don't think has happened. And I don't know. It's a vulnerable place, and it's a good place to be because vulnerability uh, makes you work harder.
0: Yes, and and as an artist, vulnerability is the key to making anything of artistic merit. You know, like... At least me as a writer, I've come to a place where I've stopped I've stopped being in the place where I want to imitate the things I've seen, and now I actually want to tell the stories of who I am. The stories that only I can tell. Right, right. Right? And you as an artist, all you have is your instincts, your taste, and the story you want to tell. It's so interesting, right? Because like now as my
1: career has grown and like where I'm at now, like I look at my team at area and um, you know, we it's a, it's a table of collaboration and we all talk collectively about food and so on and so forth, which I love. And sometimes they, they talk about food and they come up with food and I'm like, but what makes this who we are? You have to draw it back to what this place means. Eliminate you, me, yourself like all that eliminate that who makes it like what makes this us and it's a very it's a very difficult thing and then you come up with 10 things on a dish and then you know like i tell them like draw seven of them off is the dish the same is the foundation of the dish and the meaning of the dish the same Mm -hmm. and it's like it's a it's crazy it's really it's not a lot of people understand, like, what it takes to be that, that creative output to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, I mean, your whole job is telling a story. I think that we struggle a little bit more because people are just trying – they're hungry and they just want to be satiated, right? Yeah. But in essence, we're telling a story. Yes. You know? And I think always for things that matter, there's a story attached to them because there's, there's depth to it. There's, like, a meaning to it. it when you eat it, it tastes different because there's a, a reasoning behind this like yes if you eat our foie like it's delicious but when you know the story it's otherworldly i think
0: dude a chicken soup that you get from campbell's right? campbell's chicken soup you get from winn dixie is different from the chicken soup your grandmother made for you for when sure. you were sick one day when you were a yeah. kid right you
1: know it's funny like yesterday was new year's eve right and we we had a Consme on the menu with like tortellinis and it was it was beautiful and and I was telling my chef here um, I was like this reminds me of like chicken noodle soup uh, even though it was fish but I was like reminds me of chicken noodle soup like that my grandmother made he's like yeah you know we've always talked about that like we should revisit that and I love that conversation I love the openness of that conversation I love like being able to have that conversation because it's people that get it. Yeah. You know, it's people that like it's a it's a very interesting time in our room right now because there's a bunch of monsters in there. How so? They're savages. Yeah. So good at their job. Oh, good. So talented. They're so young. They don't even know how good they are and they will be better than me, you know, and that's what I want. That's good. And it's like it's it's so interesting. Right. Because like there's only one other time in my career that I've visibly and like emotionally felt it and it was back years ago when I worked for Norman that I knew that everyone in that room would be a chef of their own thing
0: oh that's great man
1: and they all are now they all do their own thing they're all in charge of their own thing they all do their own food and they're all exceptional at what they do and it's like I know that everyone in this room right now will do the same thing it's just different now because I'm there instead of being part of the room you know so it's like it's, um, it's cool to see, and I feel like uh, in some kind of duality, like the way a writer's room works, Yeah, would, there would be some kind of similarity to that.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, when, when a writer's room works well, when the people that are in that room are great, and when the, when the person who's running the room, the showrunner, um, really knows what they're doing it's the best job in the world. For me, it's my favorite thing in the world to be in a room. And all we do is pitch ideas for a story. It is so much fun. And I mean, the six seasons that I was on major crimes was just a great time. We laughed so much. We share more meals together than we did with our families. You know what I mean? Um, it's the best job in the world when it works. Well, a lot of crappy writers rooms are because, you know, maybe the showrunner is a, egomaniac or a monster or like the vibe is it's a toxic workplace but when it works well it's excellent and i think um i think that shows in the work you know um artists coming together to work together on a project is sometimes it's greater than the sum of its parts and that's the goal you know do you find writing to be an art or to be a craft oh brother what a great question that is a question asked by a fucking artist who knows what he's doing. That is a great question. Because I've been vindicated. Because Thank you. you know, it same thing with being a chef. Is is cooking a steak an art or a craft? It's a craft. Both. It's a it's a craft. But the artistry of what you what you add to it, how yeah, you but, present but it, a dish it's, is, is it's, your art too though, the, right? It's the next level, yeah. Yes. It's like so,
1: when when you're working when you are working to better yourself, like yeah. And I I guess we're in in a way we're all working to better ourselves Mm -hmm. every day when you're a hustler and you like you only care about like the grind, you know? Yeah. We all just want to be better every day. Yeah. So the craft is always there. The art, though, like that's that part of you that is triggered at a certain time, at a certain moment, at a certain thing. And some artists are better than
0: others. Yes.
1: And... I think that there is similarities, there is like a a parallel between the two, but I think one will drop off and one will continue.
0: Yes, the craft is the tool of the art, or rather, the craft is the vehicle of the art, right? At the end of the day, I have to know how to physically write a screenplay, I have to know the craft of the screenplay, mm-hmm. you have to know how to write a scene, not even just formatting, but how to construct a scene, how to construct a story, how to write something that actors can perform, etc., but in understanding the craft and in putting in your hours of becoming a craftsman, then can the art speak? You know, then can the art come through? And um, yeah, there's sometimes like writing episode seven of season four or five of Major Crimes. That's craft, you know. You sit a filler. down. Was it a filler? Actually, season five, episode seven. If you have HBO Max, you can watch it. It's called Moral Hazard. Uh, that was one of my first solo episodes. Great fucking episode. I'm proud of it. Really cool. Had a lot of fun doing that one. Not a filler episode. Not a filler episode. Okay, got it. People love that episode. I like that episode. But um uh but the cra- you know, when you're writing an episode of TV, there's a lot of craft. There's a lot of I need to make a table that looks like all the other tables that functionality, we've right? Yeah. Yeah. But within building that table, you know, the art is the soul of the thing. Like you have to be an artist. You have to you have to bring with it in any in any story that we tell truth because right? like I said, if it's not truthful, the aud- the audience will smell it. Right, they will smell that something's rotten. They'll smell the bullshit. Right? right, and all we seek when we are watching a movie or a TV show is connection. We want to connect with these characters. Right, and we want to feel this you know this play, this show of life. Right, and um, uh, the artistry that comes with storytelling. Is in making that illusion happen, right? It's in making it feel unique, truthful, and like maybe you learned something or maybe you've felt something. Every piece of art, the whole point of art is to make you feel something, right? And uh, I think that uh, in any craft, you know, you have to study the craft so that you can actually do the art, you know. And um, Study is a
1: huge part.
0: Boy, study and work. Everything is studying. Yeah,
1: I mean, it. like, study, like, uh, I, I encountered a lot, like, you know, like, kids, I went to culinary school, I studied, like, no, you didn't study. Like, do you know who these five people are? Yeah. No, then you have not studied. Like, have have you read their work top to bottom? Do you understand their thought process, why they did it, the structure of their menu and why they put it that way? and the small curveball that they'll put in the middle or at the end or at the beginning or why they did that. And like how they like the function of why they, why they do what they do. Yeah. That study is far beyond the classroom. Yes. You know, it's a very personal thing. Like who you decide to study and how you decide to study and what you decide to study is up to you, you know? So, um, I, it's, the, the craft and art thing for me is, like, it's always a struggle, right? Because, like, what we do is a craft, right? And how we take it to the next level is an art. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, we want to tell a story. And if you tell a story, there's an art to that. You know, if, like, you want to make people feel emotional through a meal, it's not fucking easy. No, man. It's not, fu- it's not like, I- I've watched a lot of, like, shitty TV. I've watched a lot of great TV. I've watched a lot of shitty movies. I've watched a lot of great movies. And there's a visceral difference between the both. Yeah. There's great storytelling and there's bad storytelling, you know. And um, I have movies or shows that I go back to to remind me of a thing. It's the same. It's the same. Like, you know, you go to a certain place to eat food because you know that it's just going to be a certain thing that you need to feel satiated. And then you go to a certain place for a certain event that... You want that type of food for that type of experience for that type of event. So I find them very similar, but obviously completely opposite. Yeah. You know? Serious question. Mm. In the world of streaming. In the world of streaming. Okay. Streaming. Yeah. Do you find it insulting that they automatically skip to the next episode without giving credits?
0: I've... Uh, Yes, I think I think it's a problem. I think that I think that the f- only reason I ask this question, yeah, is because I am super deep in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, again for the second time, right? And they give you two seconds before the next one starts playing.
1: Yeah, it's four. I believe it's four or five seconds. Yeah, right. And it's like engulfed my life for the last like month. And I was like, I wanted to dive back into this show because I feel like I have this show has a lot for me, and I want I want to. I wanna just take it all in again. And because we're friends, every time they do that I'm like a little annoyed.
0: You it honestly Because I don't know who wrote the show. Yeah. No, I no, a hundred percent. A hundred percent I agree with you. I think that look, I think that the thing of I think that some of these streamers... And it started with Netflix, too. It can feel this like... all on Netflix. I watch a show on Netflix. Yes. I, I, I can feel it. Like it sometimes feels like an assault, like a barrage of, of being force-fed the next episode. And I understand that, yes, it will help your algorithm and it will help you to get the person to binge-watch the next episode. But um, I think that emotionally, after you experience an episode, after you experience something on television or even a movie, I think it's even worse with movies... There is a, a, a come down, an emotional come down of when the credits roll where you're trying to absorb the thing that you've just experienced. You're giving like humans too much emotional credit right now. I mean, I don't know. If I just finished watching E.T. Oh, wait. Right.
2: Out.
1: Nick, oh, Mr. Jimenez has thoughts. No, I, I just
2: don't think he's giving. I don't think that you're.
0: Nick's coming. <laughs> Nick's coming to the microphone.
2: I I don't think that uh, this is Mr. Jimenez. Uh, I I don't think that Nick is giving people too much credit. Uh, although I, I'm making yeah. my own assumptions about what you meant, I don't think that he's saying that people see the credits and think, "Well, here's the window for emotional come down I've been looking for." I think it just sort of happens. Like they, they're you're sitting there. It's a very lean back experience as opposed to like a lean forward. You're very passive. Just why these platforms need that like okay we, we don't even want to give you the option of leaning forward we're going to lean forward for you and play the next episode absent that auto play the next episode if you just gave people a minute they probably wouldn't like they'd probably wait and and have that come down whether they were conscious of it or not is what is how I understand the experience you're describing yeah I, I don't ju- think you need to give people emotional credit or whatever it is that you call no it. I'm just saying that, just that like
0: sort of if you've just finished watching et wait, no, I just feel like if you've just finished watching the movie E.T., right? The movie E.T. has, like, the most emotional last five minutes of any movie. And the moment it cuts to the title card that says directed by Steven Spielberg, you have two seconds before they start playing, like, like I don't know, an episode of fucking Great British Bake Off. Like, <laughs> you know.
1: I have, a, like, I, have a, I have a question for Nick, though.
0: It's, a, it's an assault, man. It's if, a barrage. If
1: you if – you, you were an editor for a magazine for how many years? At Cigar
2: Snap, I was there
1: seven years. Seven years. Would you have been upset if they did not put you, like, plain as day, as editor of that magazine on the magazine?
2: Oh. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm not arguing with what your question of whether it's upsetting. I, I, yeah, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, my okay. comment has – what I'm saying is that when he said – Part of why it's upsetting is also because when the credits roll, it's an opportunity to process what you're doing. And you were saying, I think you're giving people too much credit. And I'm not saying, I think it would be giving people too much credit if like everybody was sitting there thinking, okay, well, here's the moment I've been waiting for to contemplate. I think that moment comes whether you want it to or not because if, you've been, if you have taken in something good, part of what makes it good is that it's going to impact you whether you want it to or not and if, if you just are given that moment
3: of whatever
2: you know whatever soundtrack with a bunch of scrolling text you know whatever right. then Miley then Cyrus. right and I think I think you take it yeah I think you take the Miley Cyrus time whether you read Nick Sias's name in the credits or not you take in Miley Cyrus and and you take a moment to process what Nick put in
0: front of you
1: I'm just like because I'm I'm just going back to the show that I'm currently
2: Yeah,
0: how watching. do you feel when an episode of Peaky Blinders ends and before you know it, you're starting the next one? Well, like, like do you, you feel know, like, like you're being rushed through well, a museum I, I'm, or I'm something? I'm also you know?
1: wondering if it's just because we're, we're friends, yeah. right? And, um, like, I've am fuck. I plowed through this episode, the, the, these shows. I've yeah. plowed through them. I am on season five, and this is not that old for me. Like, we're, you know, it's only six episodes a season, but... I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Super well written. The acting is phenomenal. The soundtrack is phenomenal. The story is phenomenal. Everything is phenomenal about it, right? I relate to the show super well. I love everything about the show. And fuck, I'm like thinking, just because obviously we have the relationship that we have, I'm like, who the fuck wrote this?
0: Yeah. Who
1: the fuck, like... And maybe, and I wonder if it's just me because of my relationship to you and my relationship to Mr. Jimenez over here, too.
0: Like, I want to know because yeah. they are incredibly talented. Yeah, and there's the little button there that says, like, watch credits. The only thing is you have to race to grab your remote control within the four seconds and five. then hit that little four, button. Four or five. It's four you or know, five seconds, yeah. something like that. But it goes by quick. You yeah. Know, I don't know. People have complained about it, and it's true, and it's, you know then you also wonder how much netflix is pumping their numbers of viewership when you know half the people are just like leaving it on <laughs> while yeah. they fall asleep you know but yeah i mean that i
1: mean that's a reality too of yeah. of just making money yeah right which is a, a real thing but it's also and we've talked about this too it also creates a different avenue for you to do things that may have not existed before but it also creates a different type of viewership that did not exist previously because you can get into a show and then it could disappear for four years and then come back.
0: Yeah. It's look we're in a really interesting time now where it's, and, and the pandemic totally accelerated it. And I, I don't really understand a lot of it. Like I find streaming to be a bit of a black box and everyone's really just trying to figure it out as they go. But yeah, the medium has changed where, now we can have six episode seasons. I cut my teeth on a show that was 21 episodes a season. And right. when you do 21 episodes a season, you can have a living wage for a year, right? When you do six episodes a season, um, you work for four months, and then you have to find out when's the next time you're going to get a job. Right. But even at just the experience as a viewer, you watch six episodes, and then you wait for two years for the next six well, to like, come what out. What was
1: that show that we were talking about? It was like a sci-fi show. It was a sweet tooth or whatever? Um, we were talking about Black Mirror. No, not no. Black Mirror. It was the last time you were here. Not not, oh, not just oh. the other night. It was... Uh,
0: yeah, I watched Sweet Tooth. Yeah, with Was the it kid Sweet with Tooth? The horns? Yeah.
1: yeah, the kid with the horns and yeah. shit. I was like, that's a really cool fucking show. It was a great yeah. show. And they were like, oh, when's as season two is coming? I was like, when? Yeah. You know, so I feel like it's a very interesting dynamic that we're in because we don't... It's just a different... It's a different way to watch shows. Yes. Like, NCIS is 24 episodes for 15 years.
0: Yeah. That's a long fucking show. It's a lot. I mean, there's, and there are people who, though a lot of people maybe don't make those, many of those shows anymore, people still love them. The most popular show on streaming is, like, The Office or Friends. Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Cult-following shows. Not even cult-following. Those are cult-following shows, though,
0: dude. Pretty big cult. Like, The Office is, like, the most popular show in the world, you know. Seinfeld? Seinfeld. The the streaming rights for Seinfeld was a huge deal because they know that Seinfeld is one of the biggest properties in television ever, right? And it's mostly because there's like... For most of these shows, there's hundreds of episodes, so there's just the hours of the content, and people just put it on and live with it.
1: And they live with it, yeah. It's in, I mean, it's
0: it's like fodder in the background. I grew up watching three episodes of The Simpsons after school for like 10 years, because they were on reruns on Channel 29 and Channel 39. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? Um,
1: I was more like a Saved by the Bell, Family Matters. Yes, uh, Home Improvement was home the one. Home Improvement.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah.
1: Good show. Good, shows. Great show. good shows. Good shows. <laughs> God, but, just don't, um, they just don't do that anymore.
0: I think there, there's more interesting. There's the medium is moving in a way that's fascinating and it's very dynamic. And so I try to be a little, sometimes be a little bit optimistic about it. I'm working on a show now with um, with Steve Conrad, who is a wonderful writer. He's producing this um, pilot that I have at, at AMC, and um, Steve told me on the phone he he wrote. And produced the uh, the show Patriot on Amazon, which, if anyone has never watched that show Patriot, it's one of the best shows on TV in the last 10 years. I've never watched it. It is excellent. Go home and watch it. it I'm into it. Brilliant. I need to finish be Blinders. It is, yes, you do. Okay. For the third time or however many times you've seen the second, show? Second. Is is second okay. go around. Um, but Patriot's a wonderful show. He, uh, when giving me notes on my script and helping me come up with this show, he said something which was... He likes to view it as how can we move the medium of television forward, and how can we do something that's never been done before. And for me, as an as an artist who's also just trying to make a living, to hear somebody else like try and be like, how can we move the medium forward? I'm like, oh, thank God! Like, here's an artist talking to me. Here's somebody who's trying to challenge me artistically. You know, um, and I think that's really cool. And he went and created one of the weirdest, most fascinating and funniest shows on TV right now that I don't think many people have watched but is a show called Ultra City Smiths that is on AMC Plus that I encourage everyone to go out and you know get the 7-day free trial of AMC Plus and I'm watch it. watch this show Ultra City Smiths that is probably going to lapse right. and you're going to have to pay for the whole month they have 6 episodes you can and they're all half an hour each and you can watch them in 2 days but it is the funniest, most unique show on television. It is a modern-day film noir about a fictional, like New York type of New York, right? Called Ultra City, and it's about uh, a head of a family who's murdered and a detective that has to solve the murder. That being said, the whole show is animated, stop motion animated, stop motion animation with baby dolls, right? Right? Baby dolls. With baby dolls. This could
1: be with Lamageddon.
0: Yes. It is fascinating. And there's a musical number in every episode.
1: I fucking love this. I this is definitely Lamageddon worthy. Yes. This is we can do this.
0: It is like Team America meets Chinatown. (laughs) That is the best way. (laughs) That is Uh, the best way I can explain it. And it is at both times, the funniest thing I've seen on television and also incredibly moving and emotional and deep. And it's something only Steve Conner t- can do. And I love this show and I want everyone to watch it. And it's insane. So when you need to like experience something new as an artist that just like, is weird and wonderful, it's, it's refreshing. And that's my, that's, my, that's my suggestion. That's my one cool thing. You know that, my, yeah.
1: well, my one cool down when I'm having like a really like shitty... Like, the world is shitty, and I need, like, a cool-down from the world. You know what I go back to? What? The Next Generation. Hell yeah, dude. Always. Oh, hell yeah, man. I always, and it's just a rant. I could pick a
0: random episode at What's 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 one of your favorite episodes of Next Gen?
1: Oh, uh, I mean, I always go back to, like, the first three episodes of Next Generation as, like, my favorite three yeah. episodes. Like, I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't know. It, every episode has got its own story, and it's, like, very different, and it's, like... I don't know. And I also go back a lot to Babylon 5, which a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't give enough credit to. Yeah. Babylon 5 was a great sci-fi show. And uh, those are like my – my. I need recess from the world. Yeah. So I think we've reached a point. All right. And now for the first wind down of 2022. And in 2022, we will continue this fucking thing called Partying Recommendations. I actually have a Partying Recommendation that I was shocked about just today. I went to a car show today. Mm. It was at a restaurant, and the restaurant was actually rather delicious, called Holy Mackerel (laughs) in Fort Lauderdale. I had fish fingers. I enjoyed them very much with tartar sauce. My friends had some pulled pork sliders. They were delicious also. It, it was they, they had the holy mac and cheese, which was also delicious. I'm I I was shocked and I was very happy.
0: Well, you know what's interesting is that holy mackerel is actually the sequel to Velocipastor. <laughs> it's about it's actually about a nun that uh, gets gets bitten by a fish. <laughs> It's kind of of like a reverse splash.
1: (laughs) God, that's so good. Holy mackerel. Yeah. That's my parting recommendation. The first parting recommendation of
0: 2022. That's great. Well, let's see. Other than the show Ultra City Smiths, which I think is phenomenal on AMC+, um, I'd recommend the movie Licorice Pizza that I think came Mm -hmm. out um, on Christmas Day in select cities. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, who's a wonderful filmmaker. He did Boogie Nights, Phantom Thread, There Will Be Blood. But, man, I saw Licorice Pizza at the Westwood Village Theater. It was the only screen that was showing it in December. I saw it in a packed theater full of college kids. And, man, it was one of the most fun movie-going experiences I've had in, like, five years. It was excellent. I love this movie. That's heavy. That's heavy. It's a great movie, and it's just pure joy. And uh, I just I think it's great. So when it comes out, go out and see it. It's uh it's just a wonderful, fun, great, great movie, man. So.
1: I love that, Mr. Jimenez. Come. On. I'm gonna hand my microphone over to Mr. Jimenez.
2: Oh man, you're enjoying the hell out of this I mic stand I situation. I love it. Um, so much power. I'm gonna recommend only. I'll. I'll this is half shameless plug, half recommendation. No. Have you heard the, the episode that we did with Ricardo Paulyosa?
0: No, I did not. So
2: I'm recommending this to anybody who uh, hasn't heard it and is not yet tired of hearing me talk about this episode. Uh, but especially to you, Nick, I would suggest that you listen to this. So Ricardo um, is uh, I know him through the Belen Alumni Association. He's like he's in his 60s. Uh, I'm just saying this is how we connected with this guy. Uh, and he is uh, a, an art critic. He's, I think, um, my understanding, and I've never been this deep into the art world, but is like one of the most consequential critics of Latin American art um, of of his lifetime and certainly ours. Uh, and then is also a, a poet. So he was a, he was nominated for a, a, a Pulitzer. Uh, and most of his poetry is like inspired by art. So the reason I'm recommending this is because so much of that conversation is with this guy who's coming at it from a very different angle on yeah. on what art is, the distinction or the differences and whatever uh, where art meets craft, um, and then also a lot of interesting things about what makes Latin American art distinct from art from the rest of the world, which I think. I think it's something that... That was a a great episode. That's fascinating. Which I think being from Miami as a Latin American capital in a lot of ways ends up being relatable, right? Like, we didn't grow up in Latin America, and yet we grew up in a Latin American culture that, like, it makes perfect sense. And I I would be curious, like, after you listen to it, not like it's not going to change your life, but whether it gives you some sort of, like, a different perspective or, like, a new lens to understand how you're approaching your work differently from how other people might be
0: approaching theirs. Definitely. That sounds fascinating. And, you know, um, when, yeah, that's. I'll check it out, man.
2: And then uh, also, not a shameless plug recommendation, just because I was listening to him on my way here. Uh, listen to Bobby Darren. Oh, uh, fucking Mac the Knife. Hell yeah, dude. Mac the Knife, but I was specifically blasting uh, Clementine.
0: Clementine.
2: Have you heard Clementine? No. It's about a girl uh, whose father is a, a miner from North Carolina. Um, and uh but they also for some reason have cows that it's her job every morning to walk the cows to the mine why cows have to go to the mine i don't know but she goes over a footbridge uh and she's really fat and the footbridge breaks and the whole song is like this really fun song about how this fat girl named clementine died drowning because she was too fat to go over the bridge. Um, is that
0: the traditional like Oh my darling, oh my darling, oh my darling? No, Clementine. No, no, it's not that. It's not okay. that. This is much darker. It's a different Clementine. It's, oh, yeah.
2: it's much. It's so good. dark and yeah. like. But the whole song is like this very fun. Like we're taking too much joy in Clementine's death. Um, so check out Clementine. And also, I saw Licorice Pizza. It was a lot of fun, and I wish that somewhere online there were clips of John Michael Higgins doing that Japanese accent. Oh, that's
0: that's it's. Because uh, that, that, that was
2: worthy. cringe. That was the best. I mean, the cringe is the point. Like that's the yeah, thing. That's yeah. what made it so great. And I, my understanding is that there's like calls to boycott this thing over this. See it's like the whole joke is well, how dumb he is.
0: Well, yeah, the character is incredibly racist, right. and so exactly the audience is watching a moment that is incredibly racist, right? Right. And so, um, you can see people being pissed off about it i guess but but the point but the context and the point of it is that yes this character is I can incredibly see racist. Being pissed off about you it you know that I was actually a real guy pissed. that is a oh, yeah. he's playing an actual guy who opened the first japanese restaurant in the in I, the valley for sure. who was a fucking used the appropriated japanese culture yeah. i think that's what the scene is about I, but i get i, I get the reaction you yeah. i i get the reaction in the sense that i can comprehend the reaction's
2: existence i think yeah. the reaction is silly uh, Cause if that had been like, and I'm just putting it myself right, like to the extent that any of this is like, I don't know about empathy. If that had been a Cuban character, I would have thought it was fucking hilarious. If it, if it, if he yeah. was just doing like a shitty Pacino Cuban accent.
0: Yeah, I mean, CC you and know, anyone who's ever mentioned Scarface to me when exactly right. when I say I'm Cuban. Yeah. So every Scarface poster at Florida State University when I was yeah. There. I, yeah I will say
2: I uh, that was one of my frustrations with the movie was that i didn't expect for it to be as surreal and as weird as it was uh-huh. and it left me feeling like i i kind of i went and this was more a matter of like expectations and then versus how what it ended up being yeah i had kind of gone in wanting for it to feel more like a faithful autobiographical thing like mm-hmm. i was ready to learn something about this guy's weird upbringing yeah and it left me feeling like oh man i, I have to like question whether any of this was legit or if it was it just
0: like- is, it, I call, it is a 70s movie, as in it is inspired by the movies of the 70s. Right. And if you watch something like The Long Goodbye, for example... Or he dedicates the movie to Robert Downey Sr., like Putney Swope is a big inspiration for him. These are all impressionistic movies, right? right. right? It's it, it's a vibe. Like, it's very much a vibe. Right? The movies from the that 70s. Yeah. Like things barely
2: are like. It's shaggy. You can barely keep track of where we are in the movie throughout the movie. And you can tell, like 20 minutes in, like the point of this movie is the vibe.
0: Yes. There's barely a story happening. Crack here. a beer or light a fat one yeah. and watch licorice pizza and just chill with the vibe man because that was the great time i love that movie yeah
1: well senor mushroom cut (laughs) nicholas thank you so much for being on this podcast
0: (laughs) oh yeah that's right oh oh the only shameless plug i think i have is you know uh star trek picard season two on paramount plus which uh, episode though february 2022 which episode honestly the episode i wrote got rewritten so much that um all I would say is that my contributions were probably to the general season story, you know, okay. as opposed to a, a a particular episode. I'll take it. I, I have a cr- it still co-producer says your name credit, at
1: the end of the fucking so. show, so don't actually don't downgrade a- <laughs> my
0: my how proud I am. Yeah, I have a co producer credit, which is my first producer credit uh, ever mm-hmm. for the for the whole season. So you'll see my name on every episode. Love if that. the credits don't roll, <laughs> if they don't skip you to the next episode. Shameless plugs, all the things. I'll do a shameless plug. Nope. Chug's Diner. Oh, there it is. Oh, Chug's man. Diner is my favorite restaurant in the city of Miami. Yeah. It is the only great diner in the city of Miami. And if I lived here, oh, I would be there every day. So thanks, there you go. Nick. Mr. Jimenez? Uh,
2: you can follow Pan Kong Podcast on all the things at Pankong Podcast, not Pumpkin Podcast, not Panko Podcast. Uh, I forget what uh, the the auto transcription thing I was using recently. I'm- Pantone yeah. podcast Pantone about Tone color, podcast. color social. It's Pantone or? podcast. Uh, Pantone it's Broke. P-A-N-C-O-N podcast on all the social media things. If you want to support the thing we're doing here, it's patreon.com slash dademag, D-A-D-E-M-A-G, patreon.com slash Mag. Give us all your money. If you're in certain tiers, you get mugs, maybe coffee. There's all kinds of shit that you can get sent to you. Um, and if you pay, you can
1: listen to the lightning round. You can listen to exactly there's uh, there's bonus content including <laughs> for bonus this episode,
2: <laughs> and and also subscribe to our to our YouTube channel.
1: Apparently, we have a YouTube channel. Yeah, it makes Peter it makes makes a big difference. It in his weird layer of work, all the time. Very strange. <laughs> Peter is a strange man. I love him. He's a strange man. Um, also a Columbus grad. Peace. adelante <laughs> <laughs> and we're
4: out <laughs> The next town, the next town, the next the